I'm just so tired of all these Star Wars. 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 stone of the mind there is but one phrase the way it was hello i'm your host borzoi and welcome to the (coughs) oh my god oh i'm so sorry i was being possessed by the spirit of a mongolian scholar he spoke to me he said go and critique movies tv shows and other pop culture from a decidedly alternative perspective But not they live. Don't do that one. And then I woke up, apparently, doing just that. This is Dope Movies and Shows, a.k.a. DMS, and I am your host. My name is Nat. Today we're going to talk about New Wars. That's what we call Disney's Star Wars. N-U-W-A-R-S. And with me to talk about it are four guests. So... I look at this panel, and I am stunned with awe at the diversity. I searched tirelessly for a panel with equal representation for every imaginable race, because race is imagined, every ethnicity, orientation, religion, but not creed. We exclude based on creed. All right, first up, hey, Walrus, how you doing? I'm doing just great. I hope you are as well, my friend. Yeah, Walrus. Now, that's an interesting name. Uh, are your parents Arctic by any chance? Um, my parents are actually Walruses, and I would like for you to respect my pronouns. Thank you. <laughs> uh, now, uh, when I was looking for guests for this episode, um, you told me that, uh, you know, anything sci-fi, you could talk about it. But I want to know, are you also a Star Wars fan? I first watched the original trilogy when I was five over the course of several weeknights in succession. I watched them with my parents. I watched them with my family. I have consumed multiple books. I love just about all the video games I could get my hands on. I think it's safe to say that I am a pretty big Star Wars fan, all told. (laughs) That's pretty similar to me. When I found out that there was a story that needed three movies to tell, I I, I still remember being blown away. Like you, I was about five years old. Uh, Thanks a lot, Walrus. Uh, Miles, so you're a Star Wars fan in remission, is that correct? Yeah, the uh, universe moved away from me. I didn't leave it. Um, I was actually a member of the 501st, the uh, costuming legion. Oh, wow. Wow, uh, what what was your character? Oh, I was a stormtrooper. Nice. And last but not least, the human typhoon himself, Toen. I, I like that, the human typhoon. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I'm here. <laughs> e- exploding with high energy. Oh, yeah, I need man. to do the rest of the show with my face hanging off. Great. Now, let's get into the thick of it. So, uh... 
New Wars, uh, what, what, what exactly is this that we are talking about? So uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Star Wars, you might just want to hit the pause button on this one and go become a little bit more familiar with the series. I suggest starting and ending with the original trilogy, technically uh, episodes four, five, and six. Um, the story of, uh, of, of Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Um, now, after, after the original trilogy was released, the prequel trilogy came out about, uh, about 15 years after the end of the original trilogy. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was a financial success, but generally panned as films. And, uh, there were some rumors of a, um, uh, of a sequel trilogy at some point, but, um, but those never, never really came to fruition. Um, and uh, then Disney bought uh, Lucasfilm, the company that makes the Star Wars movies, um, and, and, and decided to uh, create a sequel uh, trilogy themselves. And that was uh, what we now call New Wars. It is full of a very heavy uh, political agenda, uh, mostly focused around progressivism, feminism, and racial diversity. And um, that is not necessarily the spirit of the uh, of the Star Wars franchise to come before it. So uh, we're we're going to talk about the controversy involved there. Um, so uh, first, let's talk about the history of the Disney buyout. Were you guys excited when uh, when you learned that Disney was going to buy Lucasfilm? Uh, fuck no. Fuck no. Yeah, absolutely not. So I was excited from the prospect of getting new films because at least it had seemed that George Lucas had largely either moved on to other projects or simply decided to squat on the ridiculous amounts of money he already had. So from that perspective, I was I was very interested. But back at the time, I was in the middle of college and I wasn't you know aware of the problems that existed within Disney and how they had you know deviated from things like Walt Disney's governing philosophy and all that crap. So I was pretty excited, all told. Yeah, that was the end of 2012, which personally I, I can hardly believe that it's been almost six years since uh, since the buyout. It, it, it sort of just feels to me like a, a couple of years ago, I guess. Um, but the negotiation went on for 18 months before that. Uh, the, the, they, they bought it out. Uh, uh, they bought Lucasfilm for $4 billion. Um, which is about the same as what they bought Marvel Studios for uh, prior, um, a little bit more. Marvel Studios was bought for $3.96 billion, and the purchase was half in uh, cash and half in Disney stock. So um, that uh, made uh, George Lucas, who was the sole owner of Lucasfilm at the time, uh, the uh, largest uh, personal shareholder of Disney, um, right behind the Steve Jobs estate. Um, yeah, sounds about right. <clears throat> so Funnily when they announced... Right up until yeah. the run-up of that, George Lucas was bitching about, oh, God, the wealthy and the taxes and this, that, and the other thing. Write the check to uh, cash, please. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, it's like a fucking uh, drug deal or something, just giving all that money cash. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Lucas mentioned uh, to um, to Disney 
I, I, I think he personally mentioned to the CEO of Disney that he was kind of looking around for a uh, for someone to buy Lucasfilm. So it was it was basically a, a mutual thing. I don't think Disney was chasing uh, uh, Lucasfilm around. Um, uh, George Lucas wanted to part ways with the uh, with the whole shebang. He wanted to retire. Um, but uh, when they announced the buyout, they also announced that a sequel trilogy was planned. Uh, a, a little bit later, uh, the plan changed, and that uh, they would also be um, releasing interstitial films to come between uh, each trilogy film. Um, and uh, TV shows have been in, in various degrees of happening since the buyout. Uh, they talked about TV shows uh, very excitedly when the buyout was announced, but nothing really manifested from that. Um, and you can basically search on Google for a uh, Star Wars TV show and you'll find an, it doesn't matter when you do it. You'll find a news show, a news article saying that a new show, uh, is coming, uh, around the corner. So, um, who knows if it'll actually happen. Uh, but one thing was clear, Lucasfilm was going to be adopting the Marvel Studios formula. It is worth noting that, uh, the animated projects, which Lucasfilm started the, the Clone Wars and then the later uh, Rebels series that they were doing has continued in some form despite the Disney buy. Yeah. So there is at least, so there is not like a live action uh, Star Wars show, but there is a, a an animated, like CGI animated that has uh, mixed reviews is my understanding. Yeah. So the, the thing you're going to realize um, with the way they handle this is unlike Marvel, who knows what they're doing. I, I don't like what they do with the Marvel movies, personally, but at least they have a plan. With Star Wars, they don't really know what they're doing until they do it. But I think we'll get a little bit more into that later on when we talk about the films themselves. Right, well, the, the purchase of Star Wars uh, as a franchise wasn't really... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think Disney saw, you know, like a glimmer of 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 what they could do with the uh with star wars creatively it's all just about oh oh really george lucas you're thinking about parting ways with this uh i um i i think we can help you there i think we can we can uh milk that cow more effectively than you've been doing um however uh maybe uh maybe they were right about that well okay yeah we will talk about that since the release of The Last Jedi, Disney has broken even on the purchase of Lucasfilm. So any money uh, that they've made since then off of the franchise in merchandise and subsequent films, that's really all that's all dividends. That's all coming back to them. Um, and it, it took less than six years to do it. I don't think that um, that we're, we're going to see uh, the the end of that uh that that that's not even over the horizon that's that's on the other side of the planet i think we're going to be seeing star wars for a very long now, is time is that calculation also including the cost they've incurred to you know produce these films probably not the uh i i believe so i did not i did not look at the itemization of that figure but but that that was announced that they have they have made back what they spent on Lucasfilm. Okay, it's, I, I just asked because I mean all of the most recent movies except for for Solo have uh, made money, and there's no doubt about that. I just I just wanted to 
ask if we were just looking at raw revenue or if we were including like total profit versus cost of the initial investment. Yeah, sorry, I don't have those those particular numbers. Um, just the just the high level that uh, they uh, they appear to have uh, broken even at the at this point. Um, actually, are 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 in the black. Um, all right, so that is the the history of the buyout. Uh, let's talk about some of the people involved in the uh, controversy. Uh, we'll start off with uh, the uh, the the people on LucasArts side, and we will also talk about the people in the trenches. Very briefly, we have Kathleen Kennedy, who uh, was president at Lucasfilm before the buyout and uh, is now the executive producer of the Star Wars franchise. Um, she worked with Steven Spielberg on his films as a producer. She's often uh, credited with uh, being the second biggest uh, taker at the box office right behind Steven Spielberg. Now, this is based on her credits as a producer. I never heard of Kathleen Kennedy before people started saying her name a lot in association with with Star Wars. Is that the same for you guys? Yeah, same here. <laughs> yes. Right, right. Those things contribute to that that figure that she's one of the most valuable people in Hollywood, but I don't think it's really on her own merit. She seems to be one of those people that you know things that she's connected to, but unlike someone like Spielberg, you don't really know the name. You just know um, the, the things they have helped produce such as E.T. It seems like she's the sort of person who may not necessarily be creatively powerful entirely on her own, but is notable for at least knowing a good thing when she sees it and being able to get herself into it. Right. We don't really know what she has created. We don't really know what of the things that we like are directly connected to her decisions. But I think that we do know what a, a lot of a lot of things that people don't like are connected to her right mm-hmm. uh we know that she's responsible for a lot of that um then there's also pablo hidalgo who comes up a lot he is a uh chilean canadian who is one of the principal story people at uh at lucasfilm now uh so he as i understand it he was sort of an outside consultant uh, ki- as a kind of Star Wars super fan. And he, if anyone uh, had any kind of question about the Star Wars canon, he would be consulted, um, apparently knowing every little detail about the universe. And he also had a cameo role in uh, Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. And once Lucasfilm was bought out, he approached Kathleen Kennedy and said to her, well, you know, how about we make this um, a little more serious? How about we move in together? And he became a a permanent employee over at at Lucasfilm. Um, We'll talk a bit about where he comes in when we talk about the kind of clashing over the the progression of the franchise. Well, it's like uh, you, you have the guy that has always gone out and raised the sheep who has the knife because he's not threatening to them, right he participated in killing the extended universe that's that's something we didn't mention uh, for those unaware uh, of what the extended universe is it's all of the fiction created beyond the scope of the uh, of the Star Wars films so this includes uh, books comic books 
video games, etc. Mostly, mostly novels, though. Uh, young adult fiction, I believe it would be classified as. Pablo Hidalgo was known as, as an expert in, in all of this lore that was created, and he participated in killing it because when Lucasfilm was bought out, uh, Disney announced that all of this extended universe fiction was no longer going to be considered a part of the continuity of that universe. And in a way, I guess that doesn't really matter because it's not, uh, it's not something that normal people who are consuming the films really care about. But if you want to love something, and people did come to love Star Wars very deeply, you become connected to these things as though they are part of... Uh, they're, they're essential. They're essential in the minds of, of people who really love this franchise. Yeah. And to kind of disregard that, that's one thing. But to replace it with something else, something different, and maybe something that's kind of insulting to the original uh, fans, that's another thing entirely. So the the original canon, I think, was largely considered to be problematic to focus on a, uh, a very narrow demographic from their perspective. And so they decided to replace it with a, something, I think, that they consider to be more modern, more updated, but also very separate from the people who enjoyed the the extended universe. So Pablo Hidalgo, maybe maybe he was a supporter of that all along. Maybe he always harbored feelings of resentment against something that he loved. I I don't know if uh if that 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 truly could be the case, but he he definitely didn't express any sentiments of resentment when something that he was a supposed expert in had become completely irrelevant uh, practically overnight. So the question I have is why, if you're just dropping all the extended universe stuff, and honestly, I don't, I don't care that much if they do that. I understand why people are upset, and uh, I think it's bullshit, but, you know, I, personally, it doesn't affect me. But why would you keep around the guy who is... Um, well-versed in the extended universe stuff if you're not going to use it. Well, perhaps it has something to do with his status as a Chilean-Canadian. Mm. Well, that, that aside, it may, it may very well have something to do with the simple fact that, the, uh, that, that by virtue of him having so much knowledge about the lore, even if the old lore wasn't relevant, it might allow them to pull out some old piece of it that happens to relate to whatever project they're doing. Like, it might give them the ability to recycle an idea that they had previously discarded. Yeah, because the 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 initial take I had back when I saw that they were discarding all of the old lore was, you know, a certain amount of disappointment with it, but also a reflection and looking back at some of the books I'd read and some of the bizarre ideas that even George Lucas had come up with and being like, well, it's like there are good ideas in here, but they're also combined in a massive pile of all of these terrible ideas. I, and so yeah. it's easier to so it's easier to just discard all of it 
and then be able to like sift through it on your own terms and be like, well, this good idea is actually real after all. Then to try and then to try and take it wholesale and go, well, we have to take all the good ideas, but attached to them is all the baggage of these terrible ideas and horrible, right? Yes. If if they kept the, I can definitely understand in like creative sense why they decided to drop the extended universe. Because if you keep that stuff, that's a lot of work to keep things um, coherent in the canon. You don't want to like uh, mess things up. So it's like, oh, but this this character did this. This doesn't make sense in the story. Well, well, Tone, don't you think that perhaps uh, it, it's actually easier than what they're doing now? Because they already know what people liked and yeah. didn't like. Um, and really, all they would have to do is make movie versions of books. And we know that Hollywood enjoys doing that and is actually kind of good at it sometimes. Yeah. Well, I think that um, uh, because of the political mes- messages they like to push with these movies, they thought it would be best to do our own thing. Well, that's exactly what happened to Darth Vader. I mean, uh, he's now the he's now the face of the franchise. In the first movie, he like murked people left, right, and center. Yeah, I mean, well, in the to first be movie, fair, he uh, murked people in in a Disney spinoff too. Yeah, that's the best well, part of Rogue One. In, so oh, yeah, there's some uh, there's some disagreement in the dope chat about whether or not the extended universe was ever canon. Can we get a consensus on the panel about that? The Hand of Darth Vader? Yeah, that was pretty bad. I actually own that book. Well, yeah, I mean, there was plenty of bad in there, but George Lucas primarily, even when he allowed, like, writers to start writing in the Expanded Universe, was motivated primarily by money, not consistency of his his story. So, as a result of that, like, the money kept pouring in, and he saw, I'm sure every now and again he looked in and was like, oh, so this is what my fans think of whatever on earth my, whatever on earth I created in a fever dream once upon a time. Okay, that's a pretty interesting take. Like, even before the Expanded Universe, before he sold Lucasfilm. He did flat out say that he had an idea for the sequels that was very much at odds with so much of the literature that he himself had ultimately signed off on by letting all these people write in his universe. Like, that he never imagined, for instance, Luke getting married and having kids, which was a big part of the EU. Um, he, he never he never would have done that. He didn't imagine this whole weird mythology being developed around the Skywalkers and around Vader in particular. But these are things, these are things that we now take for granted when we look at you as it was and were central elements to it as a as a you know coherent force for yeah the thing to keep in mind about this is that george lucas really 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 resents uh his star wars fans to a degree that we can't even comprehend george lucas wanted to be an auteur filmmaker and be liked by the sundance film festival crowd instead he got us and he hates us for it make no mistake which i mean if he wanted that maybe he shouldn't have made flash gordon in space just a thought yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably should have made like a period piece about I don't know a prostitute with a heart of gold or something like that. Sundance <laughs> would have loved that. I mean, like yeah. it's also worth noting that, of course, the original Star Wars film was largely seen as a standalone project. That he himself, while he liked the idea when he initially pitched it, he in fact actually made a deal with or made a bet with uh, Steven Spielberg, who was working on ET at the time, that um that they made like a separate a a, a reverse bet that uh, Lucas bet that Spielberg's project would do better than his own, and Spielberg bet the opposite. And Spielberg, Mm. of course, won that bet. And uh, Spielberg's project was E.T., correct? Yes, that's correct. 
Yes, the the thing you have to remember about Lucas, and I I've talked to people about this, and they they've gotten kind of angry. So when I think everyone here will agree, some people listening might get a little annoyed with this, but Lucas is not the reason Star Wars was so good. Star Wars um, Episode Four or New Hope or just Star Wars as it was known at the time wasn't a very good movie originally. It it was um, it, it was saved in editing is what I always hear. Uh, Lucas has always had a team of very talented people working with him, and when you give him complete control, you get the prequels. And I think that everyone can agree that that is not a good thing. Well, what I will what I will say on that is that it's not even necessarily that the original Star Wars was saved in editing. It was saved in several steps prior to that because George Lucas is a great high level idea guy. He's great at creating you know a high level story, but he's very bad at executing the finer details. Like for instance, one thing that he wanted to do is George Lucas wanted a lot more aliens. Like he wanted Han yep. Solo to be this like heavily prosthetic up guy in this like alien costume. Um, and, and there's various other things throughout the films. Like if you look at the special edition, you can kind of get a better idea of what George Lucas thought was a good idea, which does involve a lot more schlocky alien involvement, like a lot more weird aliens, a lot more CGI, that sort of thing. And that's, and that on its face, yes, like you can definitely see why that would detract from the narrative if you saw the original film. But the important thing to note there is that it's not that George Lucas is bad, but inexplicably successful. It's that he does have a coterie of folks who help filter his ideas to make them more palatable or approachable for the average person. Yeah, that was that was the uh, one of the issues with the new uh, with the prequel trilogy is that George Lucas is not a very good director, nor is he a even competent director. Most of the good acting that you see in, uh, for instance, oh, uh, The Empire Strikes Back, that was by a different gentleman whose name I forget at the present. Um, But yeah, all the the acting between uh, Han and Leia, um, Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford, that was... um, that was well directed by a, a character director, as opposed to the. Uh, you can actually see it in some of the scenes. Hayden Christensen, um, for what it's worth, is actually a fairly decent actor. Oh yeah, the he's a very emotive actor. The trouble is, is that he was given dog shit to work. So, for instance, when you hear uh, in episode three, where or when he hears in episode three that Padme is pregnant, if you look at his face, like that's some great nonverbal acting. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that he's going through, like the kind of like working his way through, like pregnant. What could this mean? I'm having children. Like you know, he goes from like oh no to like oh great, this is wonderful. Um and that kind of thing wasn't directed by George Lucas. He was just acting like look surprised or something like that, and he interpreted that the way he's going. And then to George that. tells him to talk about Sam. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. what I will say in sort of defense of the prequels personally is that the 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 rationale I've come up with, the the approach that I take nowadays when it comes to the prequels is the prequels are trying to tell a very different story than the originals. That's obvious by looking at them. But the difference is that he tried to so in the the originals are very flash gordon pulpy science fiction and they were yeah. never meant to be more than and That's but fine. with the original with the with the prequel George Lucas was trying to tell the space opera that led to the space adventure and he wanted it to be like this space operatic very high fantasy almost in a lot of ways sort of story and he fell short of that and he definitely fell short of that in some very clear and measurable ways. But George Lucas's gift has always been to have this high vision. And he fell short of that with the prequels due to his own shortcomings as a director. Because he was convinced, I have to direct this myself or else my vision isn't going to come. Sort of stuff. 
Now, I find it interesting that we're, uh, we're we, we talked about uh, the EU and we've talked about George Lucas. We've also talked about Kathleen Kennedy and Pablo Hidalgo, who I find to be kind of avatars for Lucas and the EU themselves. Kathleen Kennedy kind of sees Star Wars as a tool, mostly a tool to make money, but as a political tool as well, being the person behind a decidedly feminist messaging in uh, New Wars. And Pablo Hidalgo is the, uh, he's in a way the extended universe fan you know, he's the avatar for that kind of fan who got really into the extended universe, learned everything about it. He's the Star Wars nerd, mm-hmm. right? Um, but he's also a, a traitor. He's a traitor to that nerddom because he, he participated in its ultimate destruction, re- reconstruction on uh, into something uh, completely different. But for, for people who are, are listening now who, who never uh, either had the opportunity or, or, uh, or the volition to get into the extended universe um, and, but are unhappy with New Wars, uh, do you guys have any suggestion for uh, some extended universe media of any sort, just anything but the films? What's your, what's your favorite piece of media? Grand Admiral Thrawn Trilogy by yeah, Timothy Zahn. And that is the this like kind of the real sequel trilogy, yeah, right? That's, that's the, what came after the uh, the the original nineteen uh, seventies uh, uh, films. Yeah, like to paint the picture for folks who don't know, this is the Empire on the backstep, the last of their Grand Admirals, who is himself not human, basically engaging in not a desperate gambit, but a final gambit to overwhelm the newly established New Republic and to reinstate the Emperor's vision for. The galaxy, uh, which uh, it lasts three books, as you might imagine, um, but is astounding and gripping throughout because it's got all of your favorite characters in it. And beyond that, it does such a wonderful job of not only galaxy building, but really helping to put the Empire themselves in perspective. Yeah, the um, right, I, I, I'm going to second the uh, Thrawn trilogy, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, if you want to read just good books in general, the Cobra series by Tim Zahn is also really, really good. I heartily recommend those. Um, but as far as extra media, uh, if you have an Xbox, you could probably still grab Republic Commando. Yes. Which, as long as we're not talking, if, if we're talking about interactive media in general, then yeah, Republic Commando is uh, that, that is game. also available for PC. I was uh, I was actually Excellent going to Steam. bring that one up too. Oh, Dark Forces. I'm not I'm not really that big of a Star Wars guy. I I liked them when I was little. Um, the I believe I the only one I saw in theaters was the third movie, but um, the third prequel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not um, like 80 or however old you'd have to be to see those in theaters. <laughs> but um i i very much enjoyed the uh what's called the the republic commando and all that stuff i republic commando is great if you just want a little story about um four four stormtroopers just doing their thing they're, they're part of a bigger world and because the um eu can be very hard to take in i i think i think we can all agree on that right that it's it's huge. So if you just want something small, just kind of dip your toe into it. I would say um, Republic Commando and the uh, Dark Forces, I think it's called, or uh, 
the the like hack and slash game with the Sith. I, I don't know. I would also suggest uh like on the video game front, there's the the most obvious one I think is Knights of the Old Republic, both oh, it and the sequel. I would suggest getting the sequel on PC because there's this wonderful mod that like actually gives you the back half of the game. But um attached to the whole Republic Commando suggestion, I would say the one of the best things that you can do is go play Star Wars Battle or Star Wars Battlefront uh, oh, two. The original, not the EA yes. remakes. Because uh, Star Wars, the original Star Wars Battlefronts kind of hit or miss in certain respects. But Battlefront 2, their campaign, it's literally following one of the most dedicated clone troopers legions in the entirety of the, the Army of the Republic. And them morphing not just from a, a very dedicated front line of shock troopers into the personal army of Darth Vader. And what that actually looks like having participated in shit like the Battle of Yavin 4 and the Battle of Hoth from the Imperial perspective. Yeah, that would be the uh, 501st, I think. Um, yeah, Vader's very good game. The 501st Legion. Yep. Yes, the uh, Star Wars Battlefront is basically everything a Star Wars fan could want. It's got everything in it. It's even got prequel stuff in it. It's, it's got good action. It's got all the characters you like. Um, I believe the campaign was pretty good, though. When I first played it, I was uh, very young. I played it on the PSP, so I didn't really care. I just uh, played on hero mode, and uh, I'm like, oh, cool, I get to play as Luke Skywalker. This is fun. So as for me, uh, I'll have to go with uh, Rogue Squadron 2 Rogue Leader. It's a video game for the GameCube. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of hard to play. You do need to get a GameCube emulator. You do need to find a, a, a digital copy on some uh, torrent site or Emu something. Uh, and uh, Emu Paradise should have it. Okay, yeah, Emu Paradise.me. That's uh, a good site for downloading emulated and emulatable games. Yeah, yeah. Um, completely <laughs> legal emulated downloads. Right. If you already own a copy, it's legal. I don't know. I don't give a Also, I no. I just want to clarify uh, to everyone: this is a completely legal emulated download which I possess. Just go have fun. You'll get to play as as Luke Skywalker shooting womp rats on Tatooine, and that's uh, that's kind of special. Mm -hmm. Is everyone noticing that the best Star Wars content isn't coming from Lucasfilm or Disney itself, <laughs> but coming from third-party sources? Yes. That, that thought had arisen a few times. Yes. I mean, if I had to choose between watching uh, Empire or, or playing the games, I probably would watch The Empire Strikes Back again. A lot of the games are actually pretty bad. Yeah, The Empire Strikes Back is unabashedly the best Star Wars film. Without Don't question. Me. I would I would recommend not playing Shadows of the Empire for the Nintendo 64. Oh, that was a solid game. Dash Rendar was always my favorite character. <laughs> it doesn't Dash Rendar is a cool dude. He's a cool dude. Dash Believe Rendar me, I played through cool the whole dude. game, but uh, it controls pretty poorly. That game was salvageable for its weird cheat codes, like where you could play as a Wampa yeah. on the Hoth level for no reason. Yeah. Well, the thing yes. is, is that Dash Rendar is basically someone took Han Solo and said, this man is not Han Solo enough and just cranked up the meter. And it's like, let's make him even. Yeah. Cooler. And also and also added a lot more of the dedicated to the rebellion tree. Uh, 
Yeah, the that's why I defend that one scene in A New Hope, the special edition, where Han Solo is talking to Jabba the Hutt, because with the new editions, which apparently are canon now, there's nothing to indicate that Han Solo is a dirtbag. So why should we believe, like, everyone's like, oh, you're this rogue, you're this, you're this rapscallion. No, he's not. He's just kind of like a schmoozer. That's yeah. it. Meanwhile, like, if you actually wanted to have a character that was like, like that, you establish that he's dealing drugs, the spice, and as soon as Greedo sat down, he should have just shot him right away instead of talking. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And then he develops that heart of gold. Well, wait a minute. If the uh, special editions are canon, does that mean that uh, Greedo shot first is canon now? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, it is. And no, Han Solo didn't shoot first. He's the only one who shot. <laughs> Everything you don't <laughs> like is slash autism. Right. Um, all right, great. So let's move on to talk about The Force Awakens and its director, J.J. Abrams. Jar Jar Abrams himself. So The I, Force I just, Awakens... Well, before, before you start, I, one thing I, I want to yeah. ask, because I did not actually check on this, is J.J. Abrams his actual name or is that like a stage name? Well, that, that's a that very now. good question. Yeah. If someone could, uh, could chat, we don't have an intern on this like, show. <laughs> okay. Jeffrey okay. Jacob Abrams. I just asked, like, I, you see things like George R.R. R. Martin, and it's like, you literally only pick that name because J.R.R. R. Tolkien, right? Yeah. That's why I only call him George Martin, because calling him R.R. I prefer to call him Germ. I don't respect That's my, my pet pronunciation. Tone does not respect Tony. pronouns, ladies and gentlemen, just so you're aware. This is a progressive podcast. He's going to have to go. Oh, Juj, uh, JJ, he uh, he took hold of this uh, franchise as director of its first film um, after uh, he found a lot of success directing a few of the uh, new Star Trek movies. Oh. And I found this to be a little bit weird that they would take the guy who did Star Trek and like, oh, that begins with Star. Those made made money. So now you can just do Star Wars, too. Why well, not? Well, the real shock is that Star Wars had nothing to do with time travel, considering not just Star Wars, but also, you know, shit like or things like uh, Lost and the like that he was involved. Give it time. They'll incorporate it. I, I think it's fair to say that when people saw his, um, I'm going to go out and say terrible Star Trek remake, um, people thought, you know, this guy seems like he would be better for something a little more, uh, more like kind of action. More fantastic, like, less yeah, like, um, scientific. Yes. So like give him Star Wars or something, right? That's exactly what his Star Trek movies were. They were a demo reel for Lucas yes. or uh, for uh, Disney. Yes. They did come out around that time, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yep. Immediately before. Yep. And and not only did he uh, did he direct The Force Awakens, he was also a participant in co-writing its screenplay. He uh, was also involved in casting as well. So uh, one of his major goals was to uh, push uh, the uh, feminist themes that Kathleen Kennedy wanted and also uh, the sort of progressive racial diversity themes. So we do have um, a, a part of the core cast is uh, uh, John Boyega, uh, a, a black fellow. And, um, uh, and he and, and, uh, the main character, Ray, uh, a, a white, uh, woman, uh, they have, uh, kind of a pseudo romantic storyline going on in the movie. It's not, uh, it's not actually really clear. It's left a little bit ambiguous. And I, I think a part of this is that like Lost, we mentioned Lost earlier, uh, this, uh, this new trilogy is, 
isn't actually planned. Uh, it's it, it was not written in its entirety, uh, much like the original trilogy. So uh, I, I don't know if that was an homage or purely uh, kind of like industrial corporate movie making at well, work. Well, I chalk it up even to a bit of arrogance. Like yeah, it's the, it's them looking at yes, not only was the not only them looking at the example of the original trilogy and going, well, this wasn't all planned, but them also assuming so we can do something just as good without having to play. Or it them all. assuming, or them assuming we could do whatever we want and it'll still make money. We saw that with the solo movie, where I don't know if you guys uh, read any of the behind the scenes stuff with that, but the guy who played solo in the movie was a terrible actor, and I think Steven Spielberg literally just met him at some, like one of his cousin's brisses or something. It was like at, it was at a bar mitzvah, but bar yeah. mitzvah. Okay. Literally, no, not as a far as I know, and as far as I know, and largely untrained act. Like I have never heard of the guy yes. before this show, for this movie. Well, that's 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 been the case with a lot of Star Wars movies. Is that a lot of the people who were involved in the franchise, with the exception of Billy D. Williams, uh, they tend to be uh, either up and comers or a relative unknowns that they can get for cheap and then ruin their lives. Yeah, it's uh, Harrison Ford uh, was the Harrison Ford. Literally, I think it was went to George Lucas's house to help him, you know, set up some cabinets because he worked as a carpenter, and that's what they met. Uh, yeah, he was a carpenter, and and from there, I think he was uh, he played a bit part in. Um, Oh, what was that? What was that car movie that George Lucas did immediately before Star Wars? Oh, God. Uh, American Graffiti. American yeah. Graffiti. Yeah. Thank you very but much. It's, uh, it's also worth noting that uh, Harrison Ford was one of few folks to really come out of the Star Wars films with an acting career. And he did so largely by playing Han Solo in different settings. Like you look at Indiana Jones and you're like, this is Han Solo, but with a whip and a pistol instead of a blaster mm. pistol. Yeah, pretty much. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah end of each line rhymes with the the end of the next yeah you can see more poetry in that the races of the uh people who were cast were very intentional now george lucas originally wanted to cast luke skywalker as some kind of weird alien but I think I he heard ended up casting him, him as a, a white robot guy head or being a midget i don't know something he weird. was an alien with a robot head yeah um, but ended up being a white human. That'd be neat. I like that kind of stupid shit. Well, I mean, keep in mind that, like, literally, in his own words, one of his biggest influences was stuff like Flash Gordon, which if you ever saw the original Flash Gordon stuff is full of bizarre aliens of that make and type. Oh, the, the the difference, the thing that George Lucas himself never seemed to grasp was that, yes, but we have the context of a hero who is not one of those things to help us sort of filter and translate, which is why he mm -hmm. got, you know, essentially bullied into, yeah, most of your cast is going to be normal humans and you're, you're going to go along with it. Yeah. Well, Star Wars, when you think about it, is 1960s, 1970s pulpy science fiction. It's just the absolute most polished and well-presented form of that. I mean, just think of the name The Force. That's kind of a... Uh, you could see that being in any, like, uh, Bradbury novel or Asimov story, right? It's sort of a... It's, it's reminiscent of that kind of generic, like, sci-fi-ish name that sort of just swaps out God for a, a generic word. It's a word filter for God. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the Force, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Darth Vader. Uh, a classic sci-fi is very on the nose, and Star Wars is no different. Um, in fact, uh, you know, it's so... It's, it's such a, a, a creation of its time that uh, modern Star Wars films that try to emulate 
emulate it just sort of feel out of out of place like the the force awakens was basically a beat for beat remake of uh a new hope the original star wars movie and this was uh people questioned the flow of the plot people questioned the uh the motivations of the characters because it just doesn't make a lot of sense outside of that pulpy uh 60s 70s era sci-fi bubble yeah it's it, it feels almost like a uh just an action movie sequel where the rule is that you raise the stakes and you double the effects by and that's it yep with uh progressivism kind of layered on top now jj abrams once said uh in a in a panel interview leading up to the film that when asked about the lack of asian characters in the movie he said if it were up to him all of the characters would be asian uh which sounds a a lot like you know he he kind of maybe resented some of the casting decisions in the original films uh, or 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 even the decisions that were made on these new films Uh, that sounds like the sort of thing that someone says to immediately mollify a concern because they're a spineless individual who has no principles um, not to not not to come across as though I'm hating on J.J. Abrams. It's just that's literally what that sounds like to me. But I mean, J.J. Abrams has also said in various other interviews that the first time he walked into the room, like looking at like the cast of the old movies and, you know, them all coming together for their involvement in this film, his immediate thought was, why are there so many white people? And he, that he said that aloud. Right. Mm. Uh, I, I I think that um, this kind of this kind of thing signals to me a little bit of of perhaps resentment, and uh, I think that that sort of reads in the film. Uh, you can see a, a pretty pretty consistent representation among the bad guys in the movie called the First Order. Uh, they are sort of Western. Uh, European white people, mostly male. Very, uh, there, there's a shot or two of uh, of women, and there, and there, there is uh, one significant female character on the bad guy side, although she uh, she never shows her face. But uh, I, it really is kind of sending the message that look, you know, here here are bad guys, and they are largely of a particular type. Here are the good guys, and they have uh, they they they're presented in a very particular way. They're presented as kind of multiracial, uh, multicultural. Um, we see we see lots of lo- aliens among the. Uh, among the the good guys lots of uh varying types of human um different different uh styles and appearances uh, of people and and a very 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 strong emphasis on uh feminism and this is when uh Kathleen Kennedy uh began trotting out the catchphrase the force is female and even uh her and uh some other uh staff members uh would wear t-shirts um, at events that 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 had this uh, mantra on it, so it's it's a very very intentional political message, and this uh, this this certainly continued with uh, the next movie, the last uh, last next major film, The Last Jedi, uh, directed by Ryan Johnson, also written by Ryan Johnson. This was again, this was intended to sort of, in Ryan Johnson's words, uh, turn uh, subvert expectations. In regards to Star Wars, 
However, he uh, really was more so just uh, continuing continuing that narrative of the progressive, multicultural, and also the kind of uh, the, the the negative aspects of it. The bad guy characters being uh, just one kind of person. The plucky coalition of the ascendant versus the 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 monolithic empire. Yeah, I for I forgot I forgot about that 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 Phasma was played by the same who did Brienne of Tarth. Yeah, it's it's very clear. Well, she loses to she loses to a person of color. That's the fundamental thing. Yeah. You got to remember the progressive stack we're but talking even about. Even more this. than that, um, the thing that we've sort of hit on by discussing like Ryan Johnson and the like is that as we've pointed out, they had no real plan when they started this trilogy, and so they basically took all the events of Episode Seven, handed it off to a new director. And we're like, well, you do your thing. And Ryan Johnson took it upon himself to subvert every single audience expectation. It's like he went onto fan forums and del- deliberately to understand what they might be expecting so that he could just willingly and wantonly subvert it when the uh, new film came. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, he sounds like kind of a piece of crap. Uh, what I will what I will point out is that and film critics with a lot more credibility than myself, uh, Red Letter Media amongst them have pointed this out. Subversion is not in and of itself a valuable thing. Like no. like subverting one's expectations is not inherently valuable. What's valuable about subverting expectations is demonstrating to people the narrowness of their own thinking or the narrowness of their own expectations. Well, it also has to be done to an end and it has to be interesting. It's like um Subversion of expectations is just another tool in the toolbox, just like 3D CGI, just like good acting, just like animation, whatever. It's just a way to get a point across, and the point has to be worth listening to. Now, there is some novelty in uh, subversion of expectations, uh, just like there's some novelty, or there was some novelty in the simple th- in like the sympathy for the devil plotline, where you have a. Uh, like in the uh, movie Constantine, for instance, you have an angel of God who's actually in on the plot to uh, birth the son of Satan or whatever, um, and Keanu Reeves has to stop them. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting for a while, but you can't you can't rely on tricks. Like, tools don't build a house. It's tools and raw material. And out of the total volume of everything that goes on that goes into a house, tools make up only a minuscule percentage of the total volume of stuff that goes into that. And it's not just that. It's uh, more than that. It's that the, the, the reason why I think so much of this was sort of shocking to a lot of Star Wars fans and why there may have been Star Wars fans like our, our friend's friend here. Um, who reacted positively to that is so much of the films have done a prior to this have done a very good job of helping to set a certain frame of mind and certain expectations like the 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 simple and basic fact that things that are brought up in earlier films are going to be addressed or important in later films and this film literally went out of its way to torpedo not, do that. E- not just not do that but torpedo every single thing we learned from the old older films that led us to extrapolate what would come from it in the new film yeah. The thing about fans and the same thing is going on in the Warhammer 40,000 community is that the overwhelming majority of fans to this franchise uh and when I say fans I don't mean people who are like oh that seems good I'm going to go see that um 
when it comes to demographics, uh, Hispanics, by and large, can be consumed to go watch just about anything. And that's an interesting... Uh, so there's going to be some appeal, uh, an effort to appeal to Hispanics and their sensibilities. African-Americans can also be counted upon to um, take in movies, as long as there's something for them to enjoy about it. Um, blacks, by and large, are not fans of science fiction. And that's, this is just demographic stuff. But um, the thing about representation and diversity is that this doesn't just apply to non-whites. When you have uh, feeling alienated is something that everyone can feel if uh, the issue of different kinds of people are forced upon them. So when you have a cast in a movie that is traditionally white, it's made by and large by white people uh, for the consumption of white people, putting diversity into that in a very front and center way, in a way that isn't kind of tokenistic or a way that the target audience isn't going to enjoy. For instance, Billy D, he's a cool guy. Yeah, you put him in there. Hey, he's, he's fun to interact with. Um, but when you start putting diversity front and center, it's going to make whites uncomfortable. Now, we don't have the words to put it that way. We do. Um, but people in the in the common culture don't. So they're going to be uncomfortable with it and they're going to find any reason they can to check out the same. Like I said, the same thing is going on in the Warhammer community where people, thankfully, uh, they tend to be a little bit more Internet savvy. And so they're a little more hip to what's going on. Um, but it does alienate white people. And the trouble is, is that the diversity that they're forcing down your throat doesn't actually appeal to anyone except for Hollywood types and people who aren't a large enough portion of the population to carry a franchise like this. Yeah, uh, it, they would literally be better off making a black Star Wars movie. It literally caters to a very specific population. The the And that, yeah. that population happened to be the folks who are making these movies. Right. We mentioned subversion. And I, the problem with subversion in this sense, because we did say correctly that, that subversion can be a good thing and it can be a productive thing. But if it's only one kind of subversion for a single goal, that is uh, that is going to be a problem, and that's going to that's going to cloy very quickly. Well, exactly. Subversion is just a tool, so you can subvert for good ends. You could subvert for bad ends. The same way a hammer can be used to hammer a nail into a uh, to you know keep your house from falling down, and the same way a hammer can be used to cave in a skull. So that's the thing to keep in mind. These are just tools. But they, if they wanted to actually be successful, they would be best off making like a Star Wars themed Medea, because that's going to sell. Or if they wanted to do a uh, like doing a, like a Star Wars themed Bad Boys Two, Medea, I would love to see that. I, yeah. yeah, that that would be cool as hell. Um, but if you want, like, that's the thing. If you want to make money off of all these different things, you can't force them together. You have to hit each of them where they are because this is their natural inclination to be amongst themselves and to appreciate their own culture. This is why BET exists. This is why Telemundo exists. The uh, things that appeal to these different demographic groups aren't the things that necessarily appeal to other the differing demographic groups that aren't them. Like, there's nothing there's nothing appealing in Telenuevas aside from, you know, the very attractive women to the majority of white people. The same way there's nothing appealing on BET to the majority of white people. And the same is the same is true about Lifetime. There's nothing appealing to uh, non-Asian minority or any any sort of ethnic minorities in the West to any uh, about what goes on in Lifetime or Hallmark movie channels. There's nothing about that. That's it's a white thing. Well, what you're saying rings true, and, and the proof is kind of in the pudding, because over the last six years, a number of personalities have risen up. There, there's been a lot of public criticism, and out of that criticism, you see people, uh, especially on YouTube, a lot of this uh, dissent 
towards uh towards the the political agenda of new wars um has happened on youtube and uh, you have personalities like comic artist pro secrets diversity in comics boo fire 191 the new counterculture and er e semicolon r and these people have uh tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of subscribers uh millions of views and a lot of them are actually uh they have patreons that make thousands of dollars per month so people are willing to to put their money uh where their discontent is if i may if i may expand upon that a little while we sometimes wonder why there aren't people who are closer to our views in the industry the reason being is that the people we're dealing with within the industry are so unbelievably obnoxious and you can't do anything about it that the your only option is if you think if you have any right-wing thoughts whatsoever at all like if you're even just like a mild conservative democrat or you're like eh, i don't know if, if they want to do the gay thing just i i don't want to hear about it you know what i mean it's like I, i'm not comfortable like with pda can you please just like take it away even if you have thoughts like that you are not welcome and you will be hounded hounded out of your job if you're part of the entertainment industry well that's the so case that's, for for people like comic artist pro secrets who uh he he was hounded and he he was he was an artist for uh dc up until about a week ago um, he described himself as the only uh, quote-unquote conservative um, uh, art, uh, comic uh, professional in the industry. Um, and, and eventually he just left. He just left to do his own thing so that he could... Um, uh, so that probably, I mean, he never, he never really went into this, but he was probably getting pressure from his employer. Well, not only that, but even if he wasn't like, even if he was producing good work and his employers never said a thing to him, just having to deal with this day in and day out and having to go to HR. If you say, well, I disagree with that, even if it's a good faith disagreement, or even if you're like, let's just say you're sympathetic to gays, but you're pointing out that, huh, you know, maybe they shouldn't be tearing each other, tearing each other's uh, large intestines open through their net, uh, through what they're doing if you're sympathetic to them and say you know they should probably cool it down you're done sorry buddy you're done that's wrong thing you can't be doing that anymore it's impossible to deal with and thankfully i've never had to do i very rarely had to deal with that firsthand i work in manufacturing where it's put up or shut up so but uh people who work in offices i have a bunch of friends who work in offices, and they have to hear every day and nothing like saying oh i wish trump would die if you said that about barack obama or even bill clinton no you're done son right it is a single kind of subversion there's really only uh one voice being heard um it is it it, it is the voice of 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 people like kathleen kennedy these are the people with power and not only uh are they speaking the loudest they're also working very hard to silence any other voices in the room um and unfortunately i feel like uh voices that come from our people are not uh they're, they're not working hard enough to try and silence back. They're trying to have a, a conversation on equal footing, but well, we're hold not on, on here, here, Here's the thing. You, you have it exactly wrong. We ideologically are under total occupation and control. We have no ability to actually strike out and silence these people. We, we literally don't. We, uh, for engaging in the kind of wrong thing that we engage in, we lose our jobs. See, that's the thing. We, ha we have no institutional power. So when you say we should try to silence them, how do we go about doing that? And the answer is, is that by le by legal means, and we don't advocate for illegal means at all, like in no way, shape or form, there's simply no way to do that. We have zero institutional power or even zero power to begin with. 
no no our enemy our enemies are literally insane that's the thing and that's um that's the thing that that's the thing our well-meaning people our well-meaning people who might agree with us or have sympathies towards our ideology would um need to get through their heads is that they're not dealing with people who are willing to deal in good faith they're dealing with fanatics they're dealing with literal insane people who cannot who want you destroyed because you disagree with them our right. enemy's ideology relies entirely upon supremacy they're the ac-130 of ideology um for those of you not familiar with military terminology or tactics the ac-130 is a big slow gunship slash cargo ship used by the united states and uh allied militaries if there is anything else in the air that wants to shoot it down they don't put it up in the air because they know how vulnerable it is it has no way of defending itself no effective way of defending itself at least and the same is true of our uh, ideological foes they're the cracks in the armor are so large and so obvious that as soon as they're pointed out they go down in flames and so that's why they rely upon ideological supremacy that's why we have to be silenced by being by being hounded out of the workplace we have to be effectively shut down by basically being killed well an even simpler example is that the emperor has no clothes like the moment Precisely. the moment that someone gets up there and points out the truth it all falls apart so mm-hmm. a lot of effort just has to be spent obscuring the truth from even being recognized yeah, well, it falls apart until the anthill can be frantically rebuilt, which happens with startling speed. We we need to be uh, less apologetic. We need to have uh, more of an uncompromising voice. And that's what you're seeing with all of these dissenting voices on YouTube. Uh, they have dedicated themselves. They have, they have essentially uh, built small-time careers around... Uh, destroying the reputation of Star Wars, fanning the flames of the dumpster fire that is Star Wars, and any mistake that Lucasfilm makes is is amplified tenfold by this community of dissent. And this is how that kind of change is made. You, going on the attack, not allowing your enemy to make mistakes, not, not, not allowing them to have the last word. And when you have the last word, then you advance then you advance and you and they start to get quieter and quieter and you're right they have institutional support but we still exist and we can still continue to assert our existence well the way the way we fight back in that instance is we point out we drive our enemies to hysterics and that points out how insane they really are we have we don't have enough reach like our 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 message is not even kind of on par with their message so their message is going to drown ours out so effectively our message has to be directly targeted at them to drive them nuts which reveals because they're reached because they broadcast on all frequencies um that insanity is going to be broadcast so we find that out with something like the me too movement where you find out that the people who are talking about feminism equal rights yada yada so on and so forth are rapists uh that broadcasts on all cylinders because it has to and the whole thing comes tumbling down we saw the same thing uh with a couple other flyering campaigns we might have seen uh here or there so that's that's how we i think we should approach this and fanning the flames of this is absolutely a good thing you point out the hypocrisy of what they're saying you point out that um this uh the diversity angle is tokenism you agree and amplify in certain situations and you point out the hypocrisy in other things because that's that's a big thing hypocrisy people don't like hypocrisy yeah and when we say uh that they have instant institutional support keep in mind the bigger they are the harder they fall and every single one of their mistakes is far far more public than ours and much more easy to exploit mm-hmm. so why was this uh, franchise chosen why was star wars chosen as a louder progressive mouthpiece than any other i i don't know if you guys agree but 
I think that this is um, uh, Star Wars kind of stands apart right now from big franchises like Marvel or or anything else. The other thing to keep in mind is that most people are followers, and I I would dispute the fact that the people who like Star Wars now are the same people who liked it in the past. A lot of them certainly are, but I was openly mocked in in middle school uh, for being into Star Wars. Oh, um, so the, I think the people are into it because they were told to be into it. It was hyped and they're like, oh, of course I love Star Wars, despite the fact that they've never seen a piece of Star Wars media in the past. Well, well, one Very thing, much so. one, well, one thing I want to add is that back in the day, it, the, the nerd experience was a lot more like, uh, M here described where it was like, it was like the D and D crowd where it was back in the day when D&D started, it was literally a whole bunch of guys who were into math and science wanted a way to apply that in a way that was fun for themselves. Like, if you ever looked at, like, the very early Dungeons & Dragons, Gary Gygax was a lot of things, and one of them was a math nerd. Like, there were ways that you resolved certain types of combat that were involved adding and subtracting matrices from each other. Like, these were these were nerds of the original the original caliber. Oh, now, yeah. what, now, the reason that's significant is that these are the sort of folks that were into old sci-fi, into the Robert Heinlein and Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke, and that over time, you got entryism, like from a later generation, like folks maybe who their parents saw Star Wars and then they showed it to them when they were very young and started to get into the second hand. Now, these were largely people who were very interested in these things, but also desperately wanted to be accepted. But for various reasons, maybe they weren't very athletically fit. Maybe they had interests that didn't align with most of their peers, what have you, were the sort of folks who were bullied and sort of regressed into their hobbies as a way to escape that. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't want to be socially accepted or acceptable. It just meant that they moved into a space where they could be accepted without having to go through the effort of improving or changing. And those people largely dominate the sci-fi space nowadays because those represent, because that's the easy sort of entry. That's the sort of, that's the sort of level that you can come into these sort of fandoms without having ever having to contribute anything of your own. You can just be a consumer. So those sort of folks mm -hmm. see things like Star Wars get picked up in the mainstream or video games or nerd culture, as we'll call it, become popular and go, yes, I can be accepted now. I can be the cool kid who knows everything about Star Wars. Whereas the original nerd folks are kind of like, but I, I invented this to get away from you sort of. Mm. And so it's, it's yeah. like, it, so the reason that it was picked was that I think that modern phenomena like Gamergate, for instance, further highlighted the fact of how much of the populace is involved in things like video games or how many people sort of consume this so uncritically that they'll just literally take whatever, whatever on earth the big studios will throw at them. And so Disney, um, like, and so Disney, like, gets Star Wars and gets Marvel as the superhero movies start to get big and it's just churning these things out because they found this market that exists of people that are already ready to consume. It's just Disney doesn't have their skin, doesn't have a stake in that market. Now, I was thinking about the history of Star Wars and how uh, Lucas said that the original trilogy was really about Vietnam, the Vietnam War. Uh, I'm wondering how much of this is sort of a latter day retcon or, uh, but he said that when he was writing the film, he was thinking about Nixon and he was thinking about how democracies, uh, don't fall apart, that they're given away. Now, these seem more like themes in the prequel trilogy, not the original trilogy. So I find that a little, I find that a little bit, um, 
uh, unbelievable. What I do know is that Lucas was always really, really sore about the Vietnam War. He even compared uh, the Iraq War to the Vietnam War after the release of Revenge of the Sith, which really ramped up a political, an overt political narrative. Um, now, the only political messaging I can really see in the original trilogy is its obvious comparisons to World War II. And people who were watching the original Star Wars film, uh, many of them may have fought in World War II. It was only uh, 30 some odd years later, um, and men who were in their uh, late teens or 20s um, or 30s, they would be, they would be um, middle-aged and senior citizens. Certainly uh, a movie-going age, that's, that, that's for sure. And uh, I think that uh, perhaps some, um, uh, although it, it, it wouldn't be completely relevant to the baby boomers, I think uh, the greatest gen would absolutely catch on uh, to the this kind of uh, you know um, uh, this kind of plating um, for for that for that world. Um, I don't I don't think it was directed at them. Uh, of course, George Lucas was a baby boomer, and so World War II is more of a legend to him than something that he uh, you know experienced firsthand. Um, but uh, I think it kind of paints up uh, uh, America, its role in World War II in, in a positive light. So the people watching it are essentially being complimented. So this is a very different kind of political attitude from Kathleen Kennedy's New Wars, because rather than having an eye toward uh, building up Americana, building up the audience, uh, it, it really is kind of putting down a significant and I guess you could say integral part of the audience and is essentially starting a new war. Uh, a new war is, is, a, is, is kind of a, a, a new war itself. It's a cultural war and a pretty overt one, I would yeah, say. Yeah, meet the new war, same as the old war, uh, is my takeaway there. Um, just from at least how the how the New Wars trilogy has has engaged narratively, because I mean, even the even as much as like the Last Jedi tried to like subvert every expectation about where the series was going, it really is still all of the key scenes from Empire Strikes Back scrambled up in such a way that you don't immediately realize it's a rehashing of Empire. Uh, one thing I will say about the whole George Lucas thing, it being a metaphor for Vietnam, I mean, in Poland already addressed this. This is a like like George Lucas is the sort of guy who is desperate to be an auteur or considered a serious artist. And if I were a serious artist, I would say my movie was a metaphor for whatever major cultural thing had either just happened or was occurring when I made my film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, I don't really. Uh, this whole idea of George thinking that he is like very intelligent. Is just stupid. He has this baby boomer mindset of, um, I'm responsible for everything. I, Star Wars is all me. I, it's, um, all the George Lucas thing. And it is credited as that, but I think, like we've talked about before, Star Wars would be nowhere without all the help he got. He, he is, um, he really does display the baby boomer mindset. And definitely in this auteur stuff, wanting, when he realizes, oh, wait, I'm basically just, um, uh, pulp entertainment shit. I gotta fix this. He kind of freaks out. 
Yeah, I think uh, if you want to make, if you ask George Lucas for uh, movie making advice, you'd say, "Well, you just walk up to your audience, give them a firm handshake, and say, i 'I'd like you to watch my movie.'" And it's to be fair, to a certain extent, that should be the, the appropriate relationship between a, a, a proper artist and his audience. Is that you shouldn't be trying to make something that I think is ultimately going to be um, that, that that you make purely to please other people. I think that's sort of where we, how we've gotten into the mess we have gotten into culture-wise and the media that's produced. You you have to make something that whether it has a message or not is something ultimately that you want to enjoy and go from there. Like that's that was literally George Lucas's mindset going into the original Star Wars movie was he wanted to make the sort of the sort of movie that he himself enjoyed from his own understanding of American culture or American sci-fi. Like we said, he, he wanted to make like a Flash Gordon-y sort of epic and he did that and he did that because he liked Flash Gordon and he himself said like even because I mean the, the movie was filmed under the name Blue Harvest and was largely a secret project mostly because George Lucas didn't want it to get out that he was being a sci-fi nerd. Oh. Uh, that was that was episode three actually. Oh, really? and the reason they use the term blue, yeah, the reason they use or uh, the, not sorry, not episode three, episode six. Um, the reason he called it Blue Harvest is because he was getting ripped off by saying, "I'm filming Star Wars." Uh, by the way, for those of you who are looking to get married in the near future, if you're looking to rent, um, if you're looking to rent seating and tables and stuff like that, don't tell them you're doing a wedding because they're going to overcharge you. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, but that's the reason he called it Blue Harvest, so he can get it, so they wouldn't he wouldn't be overcharged for. Um, catering, uh, seating, key grips, camera equipment, et cetera, all the stuff he had to run. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a, yeah. that makes a little bit more sense. Thanks for that uh, additional explanation. But it was just the... It, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I it's hard for me to look at uh, the original Star Wars movie and even, you know, episode five and six and not see them very much as a labor of love. Even if it wasn't George Lucas's original vision, even if it was augmented by things like, you know, uh, effects directors and casting directors and the like, it's hard to look at those films and not come away with the conclusion, George Lucas really liked this idea and really liked the sort of story he was trying to tell and desperately wanted people to see his vision shine through. Like he, he like mm-hmm. he had the proper relationship an artist ought to have to his audience, which is I am going to make something and I'm going to do everything in my power to make it good in my eyes. And if it's a good and useful and, and worthwhile work, you'll recognize that. And if it's not, well, hell with you. I still made something I liked. Mm hmm. All right. Now, if uh, no one has anything else to say about uh, the uh, kind of top-down aspect of this, uh, we'll move. Uh, we'll move on to the uh, <clears throat> the trench warfare, if you will, and talk about the public support and objection to new wars. Um, but we're going to do that after a break. What do you guys think? Yeah, sounds, sounds good to perfectly me. fine to me, friend. Sir Hemingford Gray, how are you? I'm not too bad. How are you, Nat? I'm doing well. So you're kind of the other dad of DMS. (laughs) And I'm happy that we could have you on uh, in this mid-episode segment. So let's talk about Thrawn. um, He's a a general within the Empire, right? And he's also kind of the lead character, if you will, or the main... uh, stimulus of the what's considered the sequel trilogy of the expanded universe yeah but what it is with thorn is it is an alien um the 
the hierarchy of the empire is supposed to be very xenophobic so it's supposed to be like a huge surprise that Thrawn is a, is in the empire at all let alone in a, in a position of power okay right so uh we don't have to go into his whole history so but we we do know kind of how he came to into power right yeah he got there by he got there by merit just by being i think he was a bit of a thorn in the side for the empire and they ended up they ended up bringing him on board oh really okay so he was like an enemy of the empire like a rival uh a rival faction maybe not necessarily with the rebellion i don't know um our yeah. other guests uh knew more about it but uh we found thrawn to be a really interesting character because he is an alien who does have a high ranking within, I guess you could say, a human supremacist organization. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, th- I think because uh, um, he's been in Rebels, as far as I know, the uh, the TV show. Um, whether I don't know whether they're thinking of bringing him in, in into the actual um, cinema universe, but it, it would you'd have to tread quite a fine line with Thrawn because he's either got a, got to appear as. Um, he, he could he could appear as a like an Uncle Tom type type figure. Oh, I see. So, <laughs> uh, but 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 the Empire. What's inter- interesting to me is that the Empire is a meritocracy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, you, you can you how how do you make the evil Empire to appear? You that's that's the fine line, isn't it? You've you've either got to make the evil Empire appear appear a, a meritocracy, or you've got to make Thrawn out to to be an Uncle Tom figure, which is which is going to be quite problematic. Yeah. Now I, I wonder. Uh, I, I think the the rebels they're also supposed to be a meritocracy, right? I distinctly remember Luke kind of going up in rank between the original trilogy films um but the empire was always supposed to be this kind of like um i guess i guess sort of a unearned privilege kind of kind of organization where you sort of feel like um i mean it's sort of like people have a certain inherited class structure like you get you get the feel that the higher ranking members of the empire are sort of like these hoity-toity types. Well, you kind of get get the feeling from the from the original trilogy, like episodes four to six, that kind of it's it's all it's all Vader and the Emperor and like everyone everyone else is pretty much useless. And if they and if they become too useless, they get knocked up. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, I do have some experience with. Thrawn, even though I never uh, read the, the books that he was in, I read a few books from the expanded universe, uh, kind of just through osmosis as a kid, um, but not the right ones, apparently. Um, it, but he was in uh, the video game TIE Fighter. So I was, uh, I was, I, I love that game. I love that game. It's so much fun, except that um, there are so many options on modern PCs uh, for how to play it and not all of them are actually good options. Uh, Now, because YouTube has a video for literally everything, um, there was, someone did make a comparison of all of the versions of TIE Fighter that you can play on PC so that you could decide which one you wanted to play. Um, As it turns out, you know, for anyone wondering, there is no actual optimal version. Like if you like to play games on Steam, like I do, uh, not because you're some kind of fanboy, but because you like using uh, Steam input. Um, 
that to to you know customize your controls really well um you won't be able to buy the best version on steam you can buy it on good old games uh gog um now you could add it to steam but it's kind of a process it isn't guaranteed to work and anyway uh the point being is that uh thrawn does make an appearance in that game i think he's been in another game as well hasn't he Probably. I mean, he's apparently a beloved character to people who are really into the expanded universe and are not just sort of like, you know, bog standard fans of Star Wars like I am. Um, But if I recall, like, for some reason in my mind, I'm replacing Thrawn's appearance with Thanos. So he's more like a craggy, like a a cold hued. uh, his skin is like a colder uh, hue in my mind, but I think he actually looks more like Red Skull. <laughs> uh, no, he kind of looks like I suppose. I suppose. Imagine kind of like the uh, the comics version. Anyway, he's kind of like imagine Bruce Wayne with blue skin and glowing red oh, okay. eyes. Oh, okay. So my memory was correct. That's good. That's good. Yeah, and he always and he always wears white. Is the other thing about him. He just looks like a normal dude but with blue skin and red eyes. <laughs> he looks like a straight up normal dude. He, he literally looks like he could be from like Liverpool or something. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty funny. That's an incredibly uncreative uh, character design. <laughs> um, Grand Admiral Thrawn. So, so he's an alien who worked his way up after being a worthy, I guess, competitor to the Empire's forces. And uh, yes, and now, I guess, the people in charge of Star Wars can't really figure out what to do with him. So, did you see the Rebels episodes or episode that he was on? No, I watched I watched a fair bit of the Clone Wars, but I never quite got around to watching Rebels. Okay, yeah. I believe Rebels might be a, a post-Disney show, right? It was created by Simon Kinberg and David Filoni, and it was on Disney XD. That's where it debuted. So yeah, this is a Disney show. Uh, executive producers, Greg Wiseman. That's uh, that's interesting that they would actually pluck that part of the extended universe out. I, th- I think it's got to be part of the canon, right? Yes. Um, as far as I know, Re- Rebels, Rebels is canon because it's created by Disney, isn't it? Exactly. I think, I think, I think the rule of thumb is anything created by Disney is canon. And I, I think he also had a comic series. The new, the new Disney comics. So I think he's in the comic canon as well now as well. Oh, really? Well, that's kind of interesting that they would bring him back uh, and and then not include him at all in the sequel trilogy, um, especially with the First Order happening. How do you really reconcile an alien who is supposed to be the leader of the legacy, the vestigial empire forces with this other organization, the First Order, that is supposed to fill the same role and also appears to be purely a organization consisting almost entirely of white men and with a few sort of uh, people of color and uh, also some white women sort of dotting the scenery of, you know, the First Order, Um, but certainly no aliens, certainly no aliens. And uh, I, I suppose we're, you know, maybe we're supposed to think that Admiral Thrawn is in there doing something in the galaxy. He's just not shown doing it. I think it'd be quite difficult to put him, uh, thinking about it now, it would be quite difficult to put him in 
quite part three of the Disney trilogy because what has he been doing since Rebels? I mean, I can't remember. I can't remember what's what's the timeline between um, New Hope and um, yeah. I mean, we're talking about I want to say thirty years. It's got to be, hasn't it? <laughs> so if he isn't like a kid in um, and he's in, just kept his head TV down for thirty show. years. <laughs> well, not only that, but. Is he? Is his species? Do they live for like hundreds of years, like elves or something? I gonna, like I was gonna, I was gonna say, you've always got the alien claws, haven't you, to get out? Right. No, no. He. They could also say he can go invisible whenever he wants. So he was actually in all the scenes in the <laughs> sequel movies. It's just you didn't see him because he was behind the shadows the whole time. Well, also as well, I believe in the comics he did spend a lot of time in the outer rim. So you could do that kind of thing you could come back from the outer rim and sort things out maybe isn't it maybe it maybe isn't an imperial rather than rather than a, a first I, I think i dude i think you've nailed it because here's what's going to happen in the sequel sequel trilogy okay <laughs> uh that i think uh as of this time ryan johnson has been put in charge of that as of this recording that could totally change because uh uh, the Last Jedi was not very well received, and J.J. It was Abrams a bit of a stinker, is, wasn't it? <laughs> well, that's putting it—that's understating it quite a bit, I'd say. <laughs> but um, apparently, Disney kind of felt the same way. I don't know; it's hard to gauge because one, they uh, put J.J. Abrams in charge of the third uh, sequel trilogy film, so Ryan has Johnson Kath is not has directing. Has Kathleen that. Kennedy gone, or is that a rumor I heard? That—that uh, that might be a rumor because yeah. I'm not familiar with uh with that one that would be a bombshell right there so uh, on on the other hand ryan johnson has been given uh, a total a total trilogy unto his unto his own but then again a lot of the um side projects have gone is, is the mandalorian on, on hold is it the, the boba fett movie actually uh after solo uh, Disney decided that all side story films would be cancelled and they're only going to focus on mainline films from here on. Now, that could actually discount Ryan Johnson's trilogy because perhaps that was going to be kind of a side story trilogy of films. Um, but it might be a mainline trilogy. Again, it might be a sequel-sequel trilogy. Because as far as I understand, mainline means as long as it includes a Skywalker. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think that that's been... That's not really an axiom of this of the Star Wars franchise. Yeah, I mean, you could say that the next movie, the third of the the, the sequel trilogy, will probably include Leia, who is a Skywalker, of course, um, because she's the only member of the original cast, or at least human member, who has not been killed off. So she could, um, you know, count as that. But what would they do for a sequel, sequel trilogy? Unless Kylo, unless Kylo Ren gets turned back to the light side of the fall. Oh, that's yeah, that's a good keep. point. Because they, because they kind of point. they threw Ray's parentage into the dirt, didn't they? Didn't they? <laughs> In uh, the Last Jedi. Yeah. Um, a sequel, sequel trilogy though could absolutely have Thrawn come in from the outer rim, saying like, "I was here the whole time doing my own yeah. thing for the First Order, like oppressing people and stuff." And I'm an alien, so I live for 200 years, and that's why it seems like I haven't aged <laughs> at all since that TV show Disney did. Don't worry about it, dudes. Don't worry about I it. I think the problem you made there is you actually made an interesting story. I don't think they're really going for that in the Star Wars franchise these days. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting too creative. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I really do need to dampen my mind a little bit if I'm going to be making these uh, wild predictions. 
Um, okay. So that's Thrawn. Now, let's talk a bit about The Last Jedi. So, I, I think that we both feel like The Last Jedi was a failure as a film, right? It's an absolute mess, let's be honest. There's, there's not... There, there's not any redeeming features other than it looked it looked really good and that's about the only thing you can say about it and i only watched a bootleg so i didn't even get to enjoy that aspect of it because it was recorded uh in a movie theater in i want to say mexico i could have been la i don't know i heard people speaking spanish in the background <laughs> but i didn't get to you know it really just looked like uh it could have been made in the 1970s for how for how it looked uh, in that footage. I think you sort of feel like in addition to that, it's also kind of a, a problematic film, like a kind of a socially disparaging film, one that, one that makes some problematic commentary. I think Ryan Johnson tried to be too clever by half because if you think about it, I mean, you've, you've got, um, I'm not quite sure what the governmental structure was, but it appeared that Princess Leia was in charge of the lot. And in the course of two films, they went from a, a, a galaxy-wide, um, I can't remember what it was referred to as the uh, government or, well, or whatever it was. And they go from that and they en en end up in a, in a spaceship on the run with about two dozen people on it, which is, which is kind of a bit of a, bit of a fail for uh, woke, woke women uh, running, running the government. Yeah, I, well, they, they, I guess, restored the Republic after the fall of the Empire. The, the faction that fights the First Order in the sequel trilogy is kind of a, a, kind of a rogue faction because the government at large feels like the First Order is not quite a real threat. And I suppose that changed after their super Death Star in The Force Awakens destroys like an entire system of planets. Or maybe planets in multiple systems. The scale is really, really weird in that scene. Well, I was going to say, what's what's that what's that government up to? I mean, they, they, they allowed the First Order to, to not only gather gather and take a whole planet, but they also allowed, allowed them to stick a giant laser in the middle of it as well. Yeah, the, the government that replaced the Empire uh, from appearances only it seems to be quite incompetent at keeping law and order compared to the Empire. Because when the Empire was in power, the only ones blowing up planets were the Empire. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, arguably, those planets were breaking the law. Meanwhile, the First <laughs> Order, who are, uh, for all intents and purposes, a bunch of terrorists, you know, the, the, the tables turned, the rebels were well, kind they are, of they are in the original the rebels, trilogy. They are the rebels. That's right. <laughs> the first order has become the rebels, and and they are uh, just just killing people willy nilly. It seems just to make a point. Law abiding planets. So they're they're you know they're criminals absolutely. And uh, however, um, the you know the, the republic isn't able to prevent this mass murder. This mass murder. Oh, surely, surely the parts to build a giant laser should be on some sort of galactic watch list, shouldn't they? Why isn't this contraband <laughs> being managed properly? Is it because the Republic is so divided that they can't even get everyone to agree on which terrorists to fight? Well, maybe, maybe they're, maybe they're more worried about gender roles and uh, gay rights. And that's a that's a valid concern. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely a valid concern. Not a doubt in my mind about that. But you know, those people also have the right to safety and you know letting these first order types kind of blow up their planets killing possibly billions or trillions 
that's uh you know i i think they 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 do uh portray failure on the republic's part and, and on a scale that was never seen for the empire so that's absolutely kind of an unintentional insult to the republic it's that you can absolutely interpret absolutely. it that way the the, le- the leadership didn't have their eye on the ball did they did they no i know i perhaps they just thought that everything would be peachy and everyone would want to go along with their vision of things because they assumed that they were just right whereas i think the empire never assumed that everyone would would want the same kind of world that they do they just sort of you know understood their own belief in their values exactly and therefore they 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 work to protect those values whereas the republic doesn't seem to have a consistent set of values well it certainly it certainly doesn't have any security pro- protocols does it no and as as for the last jedi we kind of see a little bit more of that right like when finn and rose the uh, rose would be the character which was introduced in the last jedi and subsequently discarded in the same film um but uh there's one scene where they are sneaking into a uh a, a ship that is uh run by the first order right yeah let, let's not think about how they got there it's just they did <laughs> <laughs> another gaping plot hole i was gonna say yeah they like you say they they um somehow managed to sneak sneak past the entire entire uh first order fleet get on the main mains main um star destroyer well we'll just forget about the how of that and they take take the hacker they found on the uh, las vegas planet don't they oh yeah that's right so they they do take that person with them because they're going to use him right they're going to use him to um disable some kind of thing the first order has and then the what do they call the rebellion the, the peacekeeping fleet i i don't i forget even what they call the rebellion in in the sequel trilogy um i mean they're not rebels they're 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 hall monitors let's call them the uh the hall monitor fleet they should be government shouldn't they yeah ostensibly they are government they're just sort of a rogue faction of the government which is weird to think about (laughs) imagine if like you know a part of the navy and the marines just sort of split off and are like you know we have to we have to go bomb syria okay (laughs) and maybe maybe the rest of the government doesn't approve of it but we have to go bomb syria and that hacker speaking of which that hacker uh kind of betrays finn and rose right exactly but uh what else what else happens when you when you send a janitor and what was rose a low-grade mechanic to start to <laughs> who just decide off off their own back to start doing espionage <laughs> right it really gives new meaning to like ragtag group <laughs> but yeah and and they do kind of strike me as sort of like uh teenagers like in, in high school or something like running around doing something that they shouldn't be like they go into the schoolhouse after hours to sort of like get up to some mischief and you know they're trying not to get caught like this really uh it seems like a game kids would play and i don't know if maybe ryan johnson sort of had that in mind where it's like oh you guys are just gonna wear uh you know these these uh spiffy uh 
First Order outfits, which they look great in, by the way. I mean, they look <laughs> way better than they do in their in their normal dress code, which isn't even really a dress code. It's like a, anyone can wear whatever they want in the uh, as long as it isn't like a suit. Uh, you're allowed to wear whatever you want in the hall monitor fleet. Yeah, it must be like working. It's like working for Google, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, they have they have open seating, open seating arrangement in all of their bases, right? Nobody has their own desk. They don't need to pay for for cubicles or anything like that. Whereas, you know, the first order kind of ships and bases, they're like very structured. Everyone has like you can clearly see where everyone's station is. It, I don't know, like kind of like it makes sense just by looking at it. It doesn't look like people just threw a bunch of computers together into a room uh, with some with some transparent screens. <laughs> it's almost as if, you know, being organized and having a plan gets you somewhere. Right. Well, I think that would be oppressive. You just have to sort of think on your feet, you know, trust your instincts, just like a Jedi. Yeah, just just wing it. It will be fine. Because you're right. You're just perfect. You're right. Nothing can hurt you because you are justified in everything you do. When things go wrong, they'll just sort of work themselves out if you believe hard enough. And if you plan anything, if you structure anything, that's going to throw a wrench into the works. Or a spanner, if you will. And what's and what's a few billion people as long as you're right, eh? Right. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you're going to have uh, a, a whole system of planets get destroyed. You're going to lose billions or perhaps trillions of, of living beings. And it's like, well, okay, I, then we got then we got to get go after those guys, and uh, hopefully it won't happen again. But at least you're not oppressive, and you're not oppressive. You're not, you know, you're you don't have a very uh, solid form of of peacekeeping. You just have to trust everyone to do the right thing. Because if you just trust them to do what uh, you want to do, trust them to follow your vision for the world and how things should be, they're just they're probably just going to do it, and everything will just work yeah. out. And no one, you know, trillions of people won't die. Well, uh, uh, except for that one time where they did. But okay, fine. <laughs> well, we'll just push over that one. <laughs> well, uh, well, Hemingford, it was uh, it was great talking to you about this. Um, we'll uh, we'll see you next episode. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Nat. Speak to you next time. Right, bye. So when the Force Awakens first released, it was met almost exclusively with passionate reactions. The Reddit crowd was kind of praising it as a complete success without without any kind of reproach, while others were quick to find every reason possible to bash it into the ground. And uh, I remember that the uh, Redditors were repeating the phrase, that's not how the Force works, which was kind of a, a meme that came out of the, the Force Awakens in order to, I guess, silence any uh, dissent from what they saw as Star Wars nerds. Here's the thing, right, about Ryan Johnson. This is a little off topic, but I didn't get to um, throw my two cents in last time. So, uh, sure. if if his goal really was to make fun of Star Wars fans, good on him. If this was, like, the most expensive troll ever made, that's fucking awesome. But I have a feeling that's not what it was. I don't think it was that self-aware. Part of it is to troll 
the old fans of Star Wars, and the other half is to affirm the retarded beliefs of the new fans that they're trying to capture, that they're hoping are going to buoy this franchise. Well, over over time, I think New Wars has become demoted in practically everyone's eyes, with Redditors positioning the series as just camp or fun popcorn films, and opponents dedicated to ruining the reputation of not only the franchise, but all of its big players. Well, let's be real. Regression to the mean is a thing, and the people making these movies are a lot dumber than the people who made movies pushing in agendas back in, ba- pushing agendas back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. The people back then were much smarter than they than the people in control now. Uh, the people in control now are also much more sociopathic and more and more unhinged, more and more addicted to drugs and alcohol and social affirmation. They're way over socialized and they literally cannot help themselves. This is why I say you cannot reason with them. They are literally insane. And we're seeing the products of people. We're seeing the products of insane people. They're also uh, the kitty. Well, they would have to be. They're they're quite divorced from kind of what Star Wars was when they found it, because it was our people and particularly millennial men who kept Star Wars alive after uh, uh, Return of the Jedi um, and before the prequel trilogy. Um, the prequel trilogy may have revived it in the mainstream, but as you said, uh, uh, as was m- mentioned earlier, um, if you liked Star Wars, you were a nerd. You were yep. not uh, liked for liking Star Wars. If, if, if anything, it was it was the opposite. But it kept uh, Star Wars alive by reading the books, playing the games, etc. That Star Wars wouldn't have been around. They, it wouldn't have made it to the prequel trilogy without those people. When I was, uh, and this isn't like a, uh, this is a pretty new thing. Like even when I was uh, in elementary school, middle school. Uh, uh, people who like Star Wars are fucking weird, and I'm only like 18, so this is a very new thing, this, uh, kind of nerd culture, I guess you could say, become mainstream. Yeah, uh, well, I, I, I think that it, so, before you were born, it was even <laughs> yeah. weirder to like yeah. Star Wars, if you can imagine that, because the prequel trilogy, uh, it, it kind of turned it into, you know, something that, that everyone shared, everyone, um, everyone hated those movies together. <laughs> well, I hear that, um, it was, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, because the only one I, uh, saw in theaters was episode three, and the only reason I got to see it in theaters was my dad was like, eh, he won't, he won't understand, um, the kind of adult things about it, and then I leaned over to him in the theater and said, hey, uh, dad, why did Anakin kill the kids? <laughs> and, and my mom was very angry. Uh, that's a, that's a fun story. Uh, yeah. uh, uh they're called younglings, but Yeah. Yeah. They call them younglings, so they didn't have to say he killed all the children. <laughs> he all killed right, all the it. younglings. Killing younglings um, like a madman. <laughs> uh, but so, so you you take these uh, these millennial men, and and not all, but but a large majority of them white, and you you you, you trot out with uh, uh, the forces female T-shirts on. You know the people making these movies, uh, kind of sort of. Is spitting in the face. Uh, I mean, this is contempt for the audience on a scale that I don't think uh, George Lucas ever displayed. He had he had strong strong contentions with his audience, but um, but outright kind of insulting them in 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 a way that's like very public and overt and sort of flaunting that insult. That's very strange. And so when uh, this new uh, solo 
movie came out this is this is the most recent uh star wars film to date called solo it's about a a, a young han solo we're going to cover that in a few minutes um uh someone uh actually it was um uh comic artist uh com what the hell is his is his name uh comic artist pro secrets the worst youtube name ever um he released a t-shirt uh that that doctored the logo of the movie to instead of reading solo it reads soylo a uh, soy wars story and uh this is sort of to uh i i i guess insult the sort of progressive factors um that are uh very very overt in the new movies right and uh this uh Someone uh, with with a fairly large uh, following on Twitter said that this was petty. This was nerds being petty, and it was embarrassing. So this Soylo shirt is petty, but the executive producer of the franchise wearing a Forces female shirt—that's not petty. Words don't mean things to our enemies. They don't. They don't care about truth. They only care about power at the top and cummies on the bottom. That's all they care about. So when. <laughs> someone says oh that's petty what you don't think having the only white male in the movie sucking on the titties of a uh, some weird alien creature for some reason is petty you don't think throwing that in white people's faces is petty no of course it's petty they're going to do and say whatever they can do to get you to shut up they can call you a spandoinkel philoinkel and if they can get that it's the same thing with racists the same thing with sexist it's just buzzwords to get you to shut up and the only reason it works is because we let it work well, yeah, he bashed yeah, the new yeah. movies really hard, and then and then he apologized, and now he goes to bat for new wars whenever he can. It's like they blackmailed yeah. him or something. It's like a really, really obvious change of heart that does not come about naturally. It's worth noting that Mark Hamill initially signed on for three movies back when George Lucas was floating the idea of doing the uh, a sequel trilogy of his own. This was like... Uh, several months to a year before he ended up selling Lucasfilm to the uh, to Disney, that he he signed this pretty ironclad contract, and that transferred over when they bought Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. The also thing to keep in mind is that since uh, the Last Jedi, uh, Mark Hamill has also been saying like, "Oh yeah, of course Luke sucks cock. Of course, why not? Yeah, sure, of course he's gay." Um, so him going to bat for new wars could just be him trying to agree and amplify and burn it down. I mean, he, he, he's again, he's one of the people we're fighting against. So I don't know how, how far along he is, but, um, I think, um, Mark, um, definitely kind of understand, or at least before this whole new wars shit, um, understood what fans liked and wanted at least a lot more than, uh, Lucas did. That's for sure. And mm-hmm. like, I, this is gonna be extreme, so on. But this whole like um getting like this hero and he's sucking on the tits of some fucking gross alien. That's that's just so insulting to this classic. It's like here's this um brave white guy and fuck him. He's sucking on tits now. <laughs> he's sucking on this alien's tits him, and you're going to watch it now. and you're going to make $20 for it. Yeah, and it's in a, in a in a in imagining it in like its fantasy analog, he would be like the the pastoral hermit sort of living off of nature and the like. But because this is like a sci-fi story and because these people have very little sense of what the heroic or the the mythical actually looks like, they uh degrade it to, "Whoa, look at this weird alien." 
I mean, they made him a tit-sucking weirdo. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I mean, literally. Like, like the thing is, is like the the thing is, is like the unwashed hermit archetype they were clearly trying to evoke, which is it's very common in a lot of fiction. Like you might see this guy go out and like milk a goat or two, and then you know drink the milk straight from whatever bucket he's gotten it into. But the fact that they use this this absurd alien cow thing. And turn the scene from like one of like you know this it, is it unusual. looks like a woman. It looks like a weird yeah, woman. It, it, right? They, they it, take it, it away from it's very. They human take it away life. from this. Okay, this guy is odd, living this like back to nature lifestyle, and they dial up the weird level to the point where it's like, what are you doing? Oh my god, that thing is disgusting. That's not a bad take at all. I, th- mm-hmm. I think they they do kind of portray him as someone who is. Uh, uh, cranky, withdrawn, absolutely unable to handle the world. Like, I get that they were trying to do. I think they were trying to do like an Obi Wan thing because he's like he's like an old man. He's kind of out of it, but he's still like a wise old man. It, Luke is just grumpy and awful, and it's this is not Luke. Luke is like even Mark Hamill said this. Luke is optimistic. Luke is like the ultimate good, and he's sucking on well, tits well, now Hamill's- on some islands. Hamill's criticisms about the corporatism, the soullessness, and just the lack of quality were all true, and plenty of people agreed with him. So his opinions couldn't have actually changed as dramatically as he now uh, signals. It's I think they got him purely on, like I mentioned, he was he's in a pretty ironclad contract for three films, and they they had him by the you know you can't go out there and disparage this work, man. Like uh, well, what are, what like, are you doing like there, there's, there's there's complaints against that in the like there's there's uh, stuff against doing that in the contract that you signed. And if you don't stop this, then we might pursue legal action against you for the, the fault of these right. films. And Mark Hamill looked at that and was like, well, shit, at some point, these movies are going to go belly up. And I don't want to have any sort of culpability for do, for being the that any potential legal culpability for that happening. So, well, now now George Lucas kind of went in the opposite direction. This is this is really interesting. So he initially praised The Force Awakens, but as sort of the general vibe cooled off on it, he ripped into it pretty hard, essentially calling it unimaginative and actually uh, somewhat somewhat infamously calling Disney white slavers. <laughs> over it I, uh... so 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 num- number one white lol <laughs> second he did apologize for that comment he did apologize for that comment although he i i think it was more so in the vein of that was too extreme a statement not so much that i'm taking back my criticisms of disney so uh i, I mean it's really interesting that he hates white people or at least white seeming people and yet his films were white as the driven snow compared to new wars so uh I don't understand that that particular chip on his shoulder, even the prequel films. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I mean, the creator of um, of Star Wars, he wanted to be involved in the uh, in the sequel trilogy. He was forced out. He was pushed out. He was kind of uh, resentful of that. Um, and as soon as the general zeitgeist uh, allowed it, he he began to. Um, he began to bash the, the films pretty fervently. So he th- th- those are his real thoughts, right? I think what we're seeing is George Lucas slowly letting out his real thoughts and uh, Mark Hamill c- 
kind of repressing them. Um, now, Ryan Johnson um, also had kind of a story arc of his own, uh, uh, kind of uh, as a reaction to the public response to The Last Jedi. So if if Mark Hamill and George Lucas had their own arcs, Ryan Johnson's was that he was originally uh, very open to feedback about the film from fans, but I think he got a taste of exactly how passionate the fan base was and how against him they were because uh, his, his like sort of day one initial release reactions where it's like, you know, it's my it's part of my job as a director to listen to the fan feedback. And of course, fan criticism is the most important criticism. I'm paraphrasing yeah. his tweets here, but he did. He, he was, said he things in this vein. Reasonable and, uh... He was pretty reasonable. Uh, compare that to today where he's throwing around words like man babies and he's been he's been nothing but very virulent against the uh against the fan base especially those who are kind of the i guess what you would consider the hardcore the core fans who uh uh, who are really, uh, from my perspective, they're the most critical of New Wars. You know, the people who love Star Wars the most are the people who now kind of hate Star Wars the most. Can confirm. Well, to be honest, I think mm. Star Wars was always a family thing. I, I'd say the opposite. Like, some of these new Star Wars movies are, they're fucking dark, man. Like, I, I haven't seen all of it, but Rogue One, it's like, it's like a fucking war movie. And it's Star Wars, and it's, oh, that's not right. And I mean, like, yeah, I was, I was waiting for it ate me to start. Playing yeah, that yeah, end it's battle like fucking scene. Vietnam or some shit. Am I watching? Am I watching Star Wars or Saving Private Ryan or some shit? Yeah, if they like, move, yeah. they're rebels. If they don't move, they're especially well disciplined yeah, rebels. It's insane. I <laughs> really? Yeah. Although I'm familiar with the Kyle Katarn, you know, characters. Yeah, Kyle Kyle Katarn is like a, a fan favorite and pretty well celebrated from the old lore. And you can see that they've essentially replaced him with a uh, a twenty-something woman. And because uh, uh, for those unfamiliar, Kyle Katarn was supposed to be like the guy that stole the 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 Death Star uh, schematics. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's actually the story that Rogue One tells about a band of. Uh, of uh, a, a multicultural men led by a young Wait, white lady. But, um, how does the story um, end? Did, did they? Did, the did story they, uh, ends did they with, with Death Star. They didn't. Uh, well, uh, I believe. Yeah, I believe the Death Star does make an appearance, but um, the rebels are able to steal the schematics um, and transfer them to. Uh, um, I, I believe they they transferred them to like Leia. Leia Organa uh, from uh, right before uh, uh, Star Wars uh, A New Hope. So the original Star Wars movie. So that's how they connect them together. So um, I can't remember the actress's name, but the, the, the main character of uh, Rogue One has a direct connection now to Leia, Princess Leia, uh, through that. And then they die. Then they then they all die. <laughs> Good. Rebel scum. Yeah, and it's like, but the thing the thing that's worth noting is that there weren't any like actual Star Wars fans who went into Rogue One expecting any of the main characters to come out alive. Like the the expectation, the implication of doing that movie was they were all going to die. 
and and that was just what was going to happen. But here's the thing: did the kids right. know that? And that's I think that, and I know that some people get upset because there are people who are adults that love Star Wars, and I I understand it. It is a family friendly thing, but I do think that the main appeal is children. <laughs> so when you have a fucking war movie yep. in a children's franchise, it's fucking weird. I mean, it's not like if they had like a- Well, Ro- Rogue One's kind of special tone because that is the first Star Wars movie that is sort of, it's a movie, but it's also Star Wars. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it was the first interstitial film. It has the subtitle, A Star Wars Story, which is a really terrible, uh, just a sub-franchise name. Yes. I, I just think that as it's some, so weird to have in the title re- of a film. online reviewers put it, there's no title crawl. It broke new ground. <laughs> really, bro? You're getting excited about that? Oh, fucking people. <laughs> well, that was that's actually a quote from Red Letter Media. Oh, no, Mom, the funny robot is dead. That's another great quote from it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it's interesting because Red Letter Media is famous for their Star Wars prequel reviews. Um, but when The Force Awakens came around, when it was new, they gave it a middling, but I would say overall positive review, and actually one that I felt was kind of timid. I, I, I don't think that they actually went, uh, I don't think they really went for the throat, uh, uh that, that, that they could have, that was open to them, and I think other commentators like E, E semicolon R, look him up on He's YouTube, cr- uh, did a much better job, a much better job of critiquing and analyzing, uh, the force awakens things that uh you know i i wondered to myself why didn't red letter media do that if you're not familiar red letter media did the mr plinkett reviews which really dissected and analyzed uh all three of the star wars prequel films in a really funny and really insightful way uh oh yeah it's it's i mean they're they're highly highly entertaining uh even if you're not interested in star wars at all they're entertaining for the film analysis part of it it's like a small film class watching uh those those three basically a small film class hosted by a serial killer it's great i would recommend trying to gloss over some of like the gross toilet humory bits they do with the the character but the the analysis of the films themselves is very spot on yeah, it, it breaks it up a little bit, but you're right, it's not that funny. Um, but I think the reason why their Force Awakens review was so... I just just didn't have teeth is the same reason that I think uh, feelings were so strong for The Force Awakens when it first came out. It wasn't a prequel film. It was competently made. J.J. Abrams made a movie. It wasn't necessarily a hot mess. Um, of course, it, it did have these... It immediately off-putting to exactly everyone. it had these uh, overt political themes but it was not necessarily a mechanically poor movie yes like it, it wasn't were. off-putting and really uh, we live in a time where a movie not being off-putting is uh, and being of a <laughs> is like oh that that means it's a good movie and no it just means it's an okay movie it's a billion dollar hit is what yeah. it is um, we could cover China's reaction. I don't know how worth it it is. China doesn't like Star Wars. That's basically it. And these movies didn't uh, didn't really do anything to change that. Number one, they don't have the nostalgia component. And number two, they don't really get all of this political stuff. They complain about why everyone's so ugly. Um, <laughs> the, uh, thing, they, they do. Things yeah, of a, that on nature. On a grander level, they, they also just don't have a, a particular love of sci-fi. They, uh, they don't seem to like that uh, fit fellow and his uh genetic heritage i'm not i'm not sure why kind of strange 
he was he was demoted on the on the Chinese <laughs> poster. Um, yeah, to say the least. Um, yeah, they did Black the same Panther thing with the um, Black Panther. Yes, thank you. They yeah. put him in the mask. You just put a mask. On. Yeah, yeah. Science fiction is not very popular in China. Come come to come to think of it, they love Marvel, and I guess that is like ostensibly science fiction for the most part. But uh, not but really. I think it, uh, not really. You're right. Uh, a superhero uh, fiction is really more of sort of the Greco-Roman myths of our day. Yeah. Uh, does anyone want to share any stories about their reactions to, uh, to the films? Maybe, uh, uh, what were the circumstances, uh, under which you, well, you went to see any I, of the New uh, Wars films? I've actually never, uh, well, I have seen episode eight in a stream with you guys. Um, and not, not the stream we did of the, um, edit that we will certainly right, right, talk about. Yeah, you, you saw, you saw it a few months ago when it came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, with some of our guys. I'm not going to specify. Um, and I thought this is a fucking mess. I <laughs> I honestly said, all right, this this fucking sucks. I'm gonna um I'm gonna like run Mame in the <laughs> in the background and play Donkey Kong or something because I, I was just bored. <laughs> and Donkey Kong's Donkey pretty Kong's repetitive, great, so that's yeah. pretty that's my yeah. Game man, <laughs> that's cool. Uh, as for me personally, I was kind of, um, I was kind of dragged to all of the, um, all of the New Wars films, except for The Last Jedi, uh, which I watched voluntarily with some friends, um, basically in order to just see what, what do they do this time? Um, and yeah, it, it, it is a hot mess. Uh, anyone else yeah, have, uh, anything? Like well, like I, I watched it. I watched The Force Awakens with my family because it was during the Christmas holiday and we were all together, and so my parents were like, "Well, let's go see the new Star Wars movie." And so I went with. Did it not come out my, on Christmas? My sister and my brother. No, no, no. It was the Christmas season. I didn't go on Christmas, but it was like two or oh, three okay. days around that time frame. You know, in between Christmas and New Year's. Um, so we went to just go see it. You know, as a family, because as I said, I and my siblings all watched the original trilogy when I was five, and we really liked it, and it was a big family experience. But the the thing was is that like my parents haven't gone and seen Rogue One. I didn't see Rogue One. My parents didn't see The Last Jedi either. Um, and uh, the only uh, so I watched a I watched The Last Jedi on stream. Um, and I watched Solo, of course, in preparation for discussing this episode. But I haven't gone to the theater to see any of these new movies. Um, except for The Force Awakens. And my, my, and, and like my parents and my entire family is basically like, yeah, we just, we just don't want to go see them. We're not, we're not interested. It's just not, it just doesn't seem particularly well put together or doesn't, doesn't seem very good as a movie. I think your family might be racist. They released The Force Awakens a week before Christmas, and that, you know, probably led a lot of families to go see it. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good, like, you know, Christmas evening kind of movie to go see with uh, your extended family. Let's all go to the local theater. I mean, that's kind of a sad thought. That probably contributed to the amazing domestic success of the film. I mean, I, uh... I um I don't really go to the theater to watch movies. I think the uh I can like count the number of movies I've gotten to the theater to see on like one hand in the last like two or three years. Those are uh I saw the Resident one of the Resident Evil um live act, um animated movies. Um the new um Japanese Godzilla movie and Blade Runner and that's it. I, I really don't I like movies, I just don't go to the theater because there's nothing that I like. 
I love the experience for the most part. I just um <laughs> don't like the movies, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't even need to see the movie to make fun of people who like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we mentioned The Last Jedi. It's a mess. A hot, mess yeah. hot garbage. A hot mess. And someone uh, sought to, I don't know, correct that or uh, modify the mess <laughs> you could, you when they created uh, The Last Jedi Defeminized Fan Edit, a.k.a. The Chauvinist Cut. I want every movie to have a chauvinist cut. <laughs> um, I, I call it The Last Jedi Defeminized Edition. The reverse Bechtel test. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, for, for, right. The, uh, for the listeners, explain exactly what the uh, Bechtel test is. is I don't know I don't if everyone... Well, exactly the Bechtel is. test is a, uh, it's a test to... It, it's a set of conditions to uh, uh, evaluate a film uh, in regards to its, I guess, feministic Yeah, it, largely it's, so. it's just uh, basic rating a film based on its... Uh, on its representation of women. Like, in short, the Bechtel test rests on three principles. That you have two women who talk to each other about something other than a man in the film. And uh, so the reverse Bechtel test is the opposite of that. You know, having two men who talk to each other about something other than a woman. Right. Now, this this fan edit uh, caused an incredible stir in, uh, in the media um, to the extent that Ryan Johnson and Mark Hamill responded and they responded most viciously um uh it, this was this was heavily heavily condemned so when i um when i downloaded it i expected it to be pretty pretty rancid i i i expected it to kind of be intentionally insulting to all of the women in the film um but it, it actually wasn't that way i don't think the uh people criticizing it actually even watched it because it it didn't do what I think most people think of when they think of a, uh, you know, a chauvinist edit. You know, they probably think of every single female face removed from the movie. That is not what occurred. What occurred was uh, uh, every female-focused scene was removed, not every woman. Um, and it, this had a point. This had a point, and like uh, and and like we were saying, this is it was sort of an inverse uh, Bechtel test in that it, um, it 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 showed that the the feminist agenda, and and that's what it is. It's 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 very plainly and overtly a feminist agenda. That's not that's not uh, misconstruing it. Is 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 supposed to be about equality. Um, but when you can take a two hour and 45 minute film and drill it down to only 45 minutes by taking out all the female centric and feminist oriented scenes, I would say that's not, uh, the, 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 that's not a quality at all for those, uh, who don't want to do the math, that's about 70% of the film that is that way. And the uh, the person arguing against me in my mind would say, well, this is just to make up for the original films, which probably had the opposite ratio. Well, that, that seems to me to be childish. And if you're going to call someone a man baby for creating a quote-unquote chauvinist edit of your film, uh, ask yourself, what what are you doing exactly uh, that isn't childish? Childish or baby, and to that point, I would I would highlight the fact that the original trilogy had a a very strong female character 
oh, yeah. who did quite a bit on her own and was considered to be pretty damn integral to integral to the plot throughout the original trilogy. Don't need no man. Well, I mean, she does. <laughs> she does end up needing a man. That 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 becomes very clear. Uh, yeah. But. Uh, I, I've never known a woman who loves Star Wars who who felt that it was a chauvinistic fiction. To, to highlight this example, this is literally a woman who is imprisoned, and her first act upon getting freed is to choke her 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 abuser to death. Like that's a that's pretty empowering in my book. Wait, what? Leia in Return of the Jedi. Like as soon as she as she's getting free, she strangles Jabba the Hutt to death, dude. Oh yeah, that yeah I forgot about it. that was a good movie. I think though. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Oh yeah, that was a great game. Those, those Super Nintendo games are hard as shit, but I like. But the okay. my my primary thought upon starting to watch the uh, the the non-feminist edit was that the that the film comes across as very disjointed. It's very difficult to keep track of what's going on. So nothing. It doesn't feel like it has. It doesn't feel like it has a really you know resolved or solid conclusion. And then I realized that I had spent two and a half hours watching the actual cut, and that the the feminist cut was actually sitting in another folder. Really. Huh. Strange that, huh? <laughs> so, so the, uh, I, I, I do feel that the defeminized edition was a better movie, but not because the ladies were removed, but because the movie was removed. Yeah, fuck that um, take, taking out any percentage of this, of this hot mess automatically improves it. In fact, I think the best fan edit of The Last Jedi would just be a blank screen mm -hmm. for two and a half hours. See, I, I thought it would have been funny if they just removed every woman credits and just placed with Alan Smith. I was kind of upset they didn't do that. It was... Well, I mean, why should you credit <laughs> yeah. property? God damn right. <laughs> Uh, the credits did have a bit of a bit of doctoring to them. Ultimately, I I, I think it was a little bit lazy, but it, it made its point. It was basically the animated GIF of fan edits, and uh, and I I think it did have a layer of sophistication that the knee jerk reaction from the media, because the media does take the same side as the people making these movies. They are part of sort of the same cabal, if you will. They're they're fighting for the same goals, and they're the same people who are silencing uh, any dissident points, and and really they also cannot be talked to. There is uh, the time for discussion is over. <laughs> there are no more arguments. The, ultimately, the only the only way that uh, the the new dialectic is just yelling over one another. At least that's what it seems today. Sad. Yeah, it's it seems it seems really funny that. Like having seen the Last Jedi at least on stream, that there's this whole bit at the very end. Like there's a, there's a few bits that come across as very overtly political. Like one character literally saying to Leia, "Never stop resisting." Um, the the fact that they this same character who is you know purple haired and this like older, clearly unmarried woman, like, taking her ship and ramming it through the the Imperial Command Vessel, which you only see the name of at the, in that scene, and the name of it is Supremacy. It's also painted. Um, you also, you also, there's, there's those things. There's also, but really what's notable, um, to me at least, that, that sort of doesn't jive with their reaction at all, is this whole final scene where the Asian uh, woman in the film does this whole, you know, that's how we win, not by destroying what we hate but by protecting what we love 
and then them proceeding to engage. You do that by destroying what and then, you hate. And then proceeding to constantly rip and tear into anyone who disagrees with them. Not not suggesting, you know, not even not suggesting that this isn't in keeping with Star Wars, that this criticism, but not even like going to the films and, you know, celebrating these, literally excoriating anyone who liked the old films who has anything negative to say about the current ones. And it's like, there's not a, it's not a lot of love going on here guys um i'm not sure if your film was was created from a point of sincerity words don't mean things to people what did i say before they don't care it's just whatever sounds good yeah yeah, i i i'm i'm well aware and apprised of that i just think it's valuable to point out this hypocrisy to those who may not quite get it yet absolutely we didn't we didn't mention this earlier but it 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 bears uh saying um that even in their uh this is a fantasy world for them this is the fantasy of their rebellion against against our people but even in that fantasy uh they can't really uh, uh uh cope with being in power they have to create a situation in which they are in power and yet not in power. Um, well, it, it has to do with their fundamental presupposition of uh, cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism, for those of you who don't know in our audience, is the uh, it, Marxism brought down to its lowest common denom- denominator is irreconcilable class conflict and the uh, victory of the underdog over the controlling state. So in economic Marxism, it's the bourgeois versus the proletariat, the people who own the means of production versus those who don't. It doesn't mean anything in today's society because if you have a 401k you own the means of production at least a small member of it making you part of the bourgeoisie and i do, i know very few people without a 401k in cultural marxism it's uh the evil white christian patriarchy which doesn't really exist versus the uh rapscallion poc uh sexual degenerates etc etc um and so anyone working on quote-unquote behalf of the oppressed is a is part of that group and they can pretend like they're not in power Yeah, and one thing that's worth noting is that the transition from the revolutionary into the establishment is something not just that uh not just that populates a lot of you know history in the last century like for instance a lot of like communist or socialist revolts in south america but it also populates a lot of science fiction um to sort of go into a, a just very briefly into another long-standing science fiction series star trek um, probably the best example of a Star Trek series is Deep Space Nine, and one of the things that populates the early seasons more obviously, and but still exists throughout it, is the transition of one of the main characters, who was the, the resistance fighter on this formerly oppressed planet, you know, transitioning to a situation where she is now a part of the formal military of that society, which has, you know, succeeded in its rebellion. And having to come to terms with the fact that she is no longer the revolutionary who can go out there with a gun and shoot away all of her oppressive problems, she literally has to come to grips with sometimes your boot is on someone else's neck and how do you reconcile that from a moralistic standpoint? And this movie, the, the, this, this new series of films completely ignores and completely evades that question by again putting the rebels who won the fight in the last, in the original trilogy back in the position of being you know, the, the, the guys rebelling against some sort of evil totalitarian regime that has somehow inexplicably still has control of the entire galaxy. Mm-hmm. Well, the funny thing is in the new in the new series, they don't. They're on the back foot and they strike back by using a super weapon. So this notion of uh, the quote unquote good guys resisting is completely asinine. They're the ones in power. Oh, yeah. 
Furthermore, the uh, the current paradigm effectively states that you can't assume power because otherwise you'd be evil. You always have to be on the back foot, which is the con- where the concept of perpetual yeah. revolution comes from. We're not we're not dealing with establishment. We're dealing with a perpetual revolution, which is miles more dangerous and difficult. To As deal anyone with. who lives in one of those aforementioned uh, communist revolutionary governments in South America will tell you, like that, like Venezuela mm-hmm. describes itself still as the revolutionary government, and when referring to their government, they still describe themselves as the revolution. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, guys, you you got to put down the guns and pick up the gavel at some point, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that that weird cognitive dissonance was evident, uh, self evident to me even as a child. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, seeing seeing rhetoric like that um, in in various media referring the government referring to itself as a revolution. It's like, well, how, what are you revol- what are you revolting against? You are You're the government. You control everything. <laughs> We are, we are, um, well, I mean, in a bit of a joke, maybe it's just that they find themselves eternally revolting. Ah. <laughs> sire, sire, the peasants are revolting. Pretty much. Well, get them some baths then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Self-loathing is a big component of liberalism. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so, uh, we watched Solo. Well, now let's talk about that. That's the newest Star Wars oh, movie. Oh, listen, great, you guys. And probably the biggest, uh... The biggest disaster, uh, at least uh, I, I would say mechanically and financially in this series, um, they they called the movie Ranger Solo in China to try to recoup uh, uh, recoup the film's reputation. They left out all mention of Star Wars, and that didn't work. I think there was one pre-order ticket in the whole country. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, that guy was summarily arrested for wrong think. <laughs> um. You know, but 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 watching it, there was just sort of a feeling of hopelessness inside of me. The the, the intro, everything about it was half-hearted. The intro, uh, uh, you know, uh, I didn't really feel the abandonment of the iconic opening uh, in Rogue One, but here I really, really felt it. It really hammered home the idea that this is just well, another Star Wars cash yeah. grab. This is just another it, industrial it's, product. It's even more than that. It seems to have it seems to have completely abandoned any. Uh, any good feelings about, you know, its titular character, where it's that he is like, like this idea that he is a, like at his heart, a con man is clearly present, which is something I sort of liked about Han Solo in the original trilogy, but he's, but this, this feeling of him as this, even like the, the idea of him as like a fundamentally decent person seems largely tacked onto the film. And this could probably be chalked up to the fact that they went through so many ridiculous reshoots. Well, it was shot as but he comes comic, across right? as a, but he comes across as like a, he comes across as like a, a con man who can't commit to his lie on even the most bare level where it's like any time that any time that someone tries to drag him into something bigger than himself, he's kind of like, eh, it's not for me, but then he ends up getting dragged into it anyway. Right. He's sort of he's sort of a reluctant hero that's being swept up in a greater story, which in Um, and of itself is fine, I guess. Oh, of course, it's 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 a it's a well-worn trope, but it feels more like Spaceballs than Star Wars (laughs) with the terrible acting. Um, you know, the, the, there's, there's dice on the bat, the rear view mirror of the Millennium Falcon. Um, he has, he has uh, a mentor sort of figure for a lot of the film who at one point, like in the middle of their grand scheme is telling them, you know, trust, telling him, trust nobody. Like basically the only friend you have is the blaster at your side sort of stuff. But, and he's played by Woody Harrelson, but, who really doesn't thing, sell Star Wars. But the to thing me. that really gets me is a scene not 30 minutes prior, literally his entire gang, who was very loyal to him and supposedly, it's implied very heavily, included the woman that he loved, 
literally gave their lives up for him. And it's like, you are going to come to me and tell me that there's nobody I can trust in this galaxy when you, up until this point, built your entire thieving career around the fact that you had this strong, well-bonded coterie of people that you liked and trusted. Like, this comes across as completely insincere. It reminds me of a joke from Futurama uh, where someone's berating another person for the quality of their writing. Uh, They say, you can't just say what the characters are feeling. That makes me angry. Um, and, and, and that's precisely what was, <laughs> what was going on throughout the entire movie. Um, characters basically just like, I am, I am betraying you now. Um, <laughs> uh, I, it, it just, it just sort of felt very, very, uh, um, very self-referential, very self-aware, like, here's what we're doing. We're building a roguish world. When he says, trust nobody, he's really saying, this is, this is the, the world of, of the rogue Han Solo. Um, it, it, it sort of bats you over the head over and over and over again. And one thing that's worth noting is, um, that it doesn't, it doesn't even do that particularly well. Like one thing I saw when I saw multiple reviews of this movie was that it feels like it wants to be a heist film in the Star Wars universe to which I say, fine, like by all means, I would like to see, I would like to see the idea of a movie that uses this setting and isn't like the stereotypical mold. That'd be perfectly fine. Like that's what I wanted from Ant-Man back when I still watched Marvel movies. Um, and Ant-Man failed on that metric. It wasn't a heist film. It was a superhero origin story that wanted to be a heist film. And by the same metric, um, Han Solo is a Star Wars movie that wants to be a heist film and does not execute a heist at all, particularly. Huh. Wait a minute. But, but they said move along. The Stormtroopers said move along. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. There were, there were combat walkers. The the original movie. He says move along. It was Star Wars. They had Chewbacca. I recognize recognize that costume. I know what that is. Yeah, man. Yeah. God. We haven't even gotten to the feminist robot yet. Okay, so here's the thing um, that I think is very um, important, is that this was shot as a comedy. Um, I believe the guys who made the Lego movie, which I never saw because I... Why the fuck? Why the fuck would I watch it? Um, uh, Yeah, it's like a self-referential comedy is what I hear. And that could be funny. Um, So I guess the Space Walls comparison makes sense. And I do think that um, the actor they chose, um, it was originally going to be like the guy from Baby Driver, I believe, is what I heard. Um, Which could have been alright. I haven't seen that movie. I hear the actor, and it's pretty good. Um... And I think, okay, that's neat. But they didn't use him. They used some guy that Steven Spielberg met at a bar mitzvah. So first off, that's a little in, little in-group Good sign. there. Good sign. Um, it couldn't do acting well, so he had went to acting classes. That's uh, that's another good sign. Sign. You you know you got a uh, real art there. Well, I mean, one thing that we've already pointed out is that the original Star Wars trilogy used largely unknown folks. Yeah, yeah. But it used largely unknown folks because these folks auditioned and George Lucas was pretty was was pretty receptive to their acting talent. Like I said, he met uh for the most part uh George Lucas met Harrison Ford cuz Harrison Ford was working as a carpenter and worked on some cabinets for one of his places and he offered Harrison Ford like Harrison Ford did a bit part. We went through this, but he like auditioned for the role of Han Solo and George Lucas actually was like we need to retool this role to better fit Harrison Ford's audition. Yeah, which um, is like, great. Like, 
Because he liked yeah, the guy he, so much. Because he liked Harrison Ford, and Harrison Ford gave a pretty good performance, and he liked Harrison Ford's read on the character. So it's and that's that's a fundamental difference between different styles of movie making. For instance, Michael Bay he made Peter Cullen trans or uh, audition for the voice of Optimus Prime. He's the only one who's ever voiced Optimus Prime. You got to make the guy audition for it, but got to make sure he's still yeah, got and, it. And so the difference here is that yes, it's largely using unknowns, and the the and that's new fine. Wars yeah. trilogy is largely using unknowns, and that in and of itself is fine. But you literally cast this guy and discover he can't do it, and your assumption isn't oh, before we shoot, we ought to re- recast this guy. Mm-hmm. It's we have to get this guy to acting classes. Mm-hmm. Like no, no, mm-hmm. you don't do that sort of legwork when you're casting your guys. You 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 find a guy who's good or a guy who will work, and you make it happen. That's not unusual for Ron Howard. Wait, Ron Howard might have owed money to some bad guys and just needed the work. Wait a like, minute, I mean, is Ron the, Howard the, the Nicholas Cage of directing right there? Here's the thing: is Ron Howard in any way related to to Clint Howard? I don't believe so. Okay, because I, I like Clint Howard, and they're both extremely Jewish looking. But probably one of the weirdest things was that uh, this was yes, they are they are related. Oh, they well, are there related. we go. But the uh, but probably one of the weirdest things Clint, is Clint Howard is Ron was, Howard's younger brother. This was supposed to be a a more lighthearted film, and those elements still kind of come through. There's this lighthearted, more comedic thing, but so much of their comedy falls flat on its face, and probably one of the best examples of this is the droid um and everyone everyone knows what i mean by the droid where it's like this the like way this character is introduced like they're they're in this place trying to get themselves a ship and then there's this uh and then there's this there's like this droid fighting going on on in the background like battle bots but more advanced sort of stuff and this droid is like railing against the cage trying to get these droids to stop trying to make them understand they're being exploited and that they're and and that they need to they need to rebel and self-actualize and all this stuff and like it's a it's heavily implied you don't get any you don't understand what the droid's saying but the droid who's in there is kind of like but I, I i like doing this this is this is what i'm good at and then you know someone comes up and grabs her and or grabs the droid and the the droid that's instigating all this and it's like we we don't serve your kind here which again it's another another nostalgic reference for all those is. star wars fans um but the but she's then revealed to be an integral part of the plot cuz she's like lando's co-pilot and um proceeds to proceeds to do quite a few things you know that are pretty useful to the plot but does them with all of this banter and dialogue that just feels really heavy-handed and cheesy and very toilet humory like i can't do this while everyone's looking at me sort of stuff um and doesn't doesn't really add much to the movie like actively complicates one of their plots uh later on with her with with this droid's like weird uh own fixation on liberation and the revolution or whatever and then ends up getting shot and everyone is like all freaking out because they're like oh gosh is the droid gonna be okay and lando's like no you can't die i need you and it's like but but why 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 i i don't base nothing based on based on nothing about this character based on what i have witnessed demonstrates the the why anyone ought to be this emotionally invested like i mean lando even as he's like basically introducing the droid as a character basic at one point says you know i mean i've thought about having her memory wiped a few times but she has just such a great navigational computer i couldn't i couldn't do it and it's like that that's a very different 
that's a very different stance to take and then like have you 30 minutes later like begging this person this droid to hold on well, yeah, right but, but you got to pretend that the movie has some heart to and I mean, I mean, I, it's I definitely, I definitely get like why you would have a scene like that, but it's just you've laid none of the groundwork, and it's so difficult for me to even want to buy in to what you're saying. Well, this is what I mean when I say that the movie is batting you over the head. That it's basically the characters are essentially saying how they're feeling at any given time. Like, no, wait, L three, I need you. Why, why wasn't this expressed throughout the entire film? Um, I mean. Earlier on, the Lando character who tells the droid that he needs her, earlier on, he says that he's he's thought about wiping her memory a few times because she's so annoying. Um, but she's a good navigation computer. It's like really, yeah. you're going to get you're going to get emotionally distraught over a navigation yeah. computer that that's probably free on the internet of Star Wars internet. What's really telling about that is it's not like he's saying this loud enough for for the droid to hear. The droid is like pretty far away. He's just sort of saying this as an aside to everyone else around him. And it's like it's like if he'd said it loud enough or said it where the droid could hear and the droid go like, hey. And him be like, oh, come on, you, you know, it's me. I, I'm just, I'm just fooling around. That would be one thing, but it's, he's saying this that would to be a good group filmmaking. of people as part of the exposition about L3 as a character. Yeah. I, uh, um, it could also have something to do with, uh, he could just be rationalizing like, yeah, she's kind of annoying, but I like her anyway. Um, I thought about having her memory wiped. He doesn't really mean it. That could be one of those things, giving the filmmakers the benefit of the doubt, but, uh, that's neither here nor there. Well, the popular thought is that the, uh, that L3 is what got the original directors fired because the, um, this, this bot is sort of a caricature of progressivism and the movie kind of ridicules it, but not quite. I mean, you see this, um, I think what isolates this best is when L3 arrogantly claims that Lando has feelings for it. Um, this, I think, was intended to seem very, uh, very silly, very arrogant, uh, really accentuate how annoying this robot is. But the, the, the sense that I got from it is that the scene was recut in attempt to make the droid seem more, uh, uh, kind of hiding its feelings behind resentment. Yeah, like like it was like it was an attempt recut as an attempt to make the droid seem for lack of a better term more human or more personal. When it's when it's right. like the, the, but nothing it completely about the fails. droid ever <laughs> in, in ever, you know, imparts to the viewer that view. And so that scene just helps you like even if the intention even if the original the original intention might have been to like lampoon this character further and make her make them seem more unlikable as a gag sort of thing um that it's the way they recast it doesn't make those feelings go away at all because i mean if its purpose even if its purpose is to be like a navigational robot why would you inculcate it with these ideas well i think it's uh, fair to say that star wars isn't science fiction space yeah but even even in that it sort of stretches credulity it's like creating a it's like conjuring up an elemental that's going to sit there and and educate you about the the necessity of the balance of the various elemental planes when you're really like dude you're made of fire i just made you to cook my food yeah. <laughs> uh well again it was thought that this was originally a a, a way to uh lambast um 
uh, people who have personalities like L3 um, and and kind of the the series itself. And this was uh, uh, the original directors left as uh, it was stated that it was because of uh, uh, creative differences. And now it is thought that this was the creative difference that they were they were deciding to poke fun at the controversy of New Wars and the um, the, the the powers that be, uh, namely Kathleen Kennedy and and, and whomever else is uh, in charge of this political agenda, um, they uh, they said no, no, we will only ever stick to uh, stick to our agenda, stick to the plan, stick to the plan. It's been going so well for them so far. Anyway, uh, I got to go for the night, guys, uh, and I will talk to you later. All right. Oh, thank you, Miles. Bye bye. But um oh yeah I so a little off topic but I found something I went on Rotten Tomatoes just thinking hey um what I I wonder um what the critics are saying because let's let's be honest the fucking reviews are paid for I think that's fair enough to say but on this one I don't know because they gave it a 70% and more interestingly is that the user score was higher than um what's it called uh the the no 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 the use more users liked it than users liked episode eight. Mm, okay. It, it has a sixty three percent, and I believe episode eight had a, like a fifty two or something. Here, let me check. Well, it, it's difficult to analyze. Um, it's it's possible that this film was sent to die. Uh, you also have to consider that uh, Disney is apparently in the black with Star Wars. So losing out on one film, uh, perhaps cutting their losses, uh, may not be all that unusual. Uh, they may not have purchased as many positive reviews. I'm sure they did to some extent, um, but uh, they, they, they may not have gone uh, uh, very hard on this. There was also a huge, huge um, uh, controversy that they had with the advertisement of uh, Solo. Apparently, um, their posters were plagiarized from a series of uh, uh, funk, soul, and R&B album covers. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so they were they were pretty much outright plagiarized. I think they probably got some low budget um, diversity hires. Uh, ven- uh, well, uh, some some uh, they got a low budget vendor to uh, 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 take care of this, and I think that they they probably copied something that they had on their desk, and and this is what you get. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I I don't think they spent as much money after they got this in the can as they would have on you know uh, uh, Rogue One or or one of the uh, mainline movies. Yeah, this uh. Um, Star Wars The Last Jedi, even lower than I thought, um, got a 46% by the audience. Um, though the user ratings, there are significantly more ratings for this one. Um, it has, like, near, um, 200,000, and, um, Solo has about 3,000, um, 35,000 ratings. So, you know, there's obviously going to be differences there. And another thing to uh, back up the idea that maybe they didn't spend as much money on the marketing of this, they are uh, already saying that, you know, does the failure of this film indicate that no one wants to see straight white men in a leading role anymore, which, I mean, is is pretty overtly... uh, 
pretty overtly bigoted. Um, well, I mean, if this is the quality <laughs> of film that you're going to put straight white men into, then, you know, probably not. Yeah, and it's just, I almost feel like you could you could find that out better by doing, like, test screenings or the like. But at that point, I suppose they were so far in the hole, they were just like, let's just throw it out there and see what happens, right? One of the most, uh, I guess, uh, overt political narratives came from a, a very surprising place, and that was Chewbacca, uh, Han Solo's uh, bear man sidekick. Um, I, I think they went to pretty great lengths to compare Dr- Chewbacca directly to a black man. <laughs> Uh, he was uh, he was being exploited by a, a white male organization. So he was in he was in he was basically in a feral state, being exploited for uh, cheap labor. Um, he was rescued by Han Solo, but only but only after Chewbacca was employed to kill Solo in a rather cruel uh, form of execution. Uh, Han uh, hears Chewbacca's name. And uh, once they introduce themselves to one another, Han makes a a sort of a snide statement about how he's going to have to find something else to uh, call Chewbacca because he's never going to remember that name, Um, which is sort of a Eurocentric, like ethnocentric kind of statement to make and is sort of insensitive on, on Han's part. So I feel like there's a bit of commentary in there. And as if uh, this comparison couldn't be even more overt, uh, the Wookiees are mentioned to be slaves as a race uh, to the Empire. And I don't think there's any other uh, race, uh, at least a uh, major race within the Star Wars franchise that's, uh, you know, uh, where it's time is taken to say like, oh, yeah, and they were they were made slaves by this, uh, you know, Nazi yeah, analog they're, in the Star Wars they're so universe. explicitly simply defined as, as slaves as a culture. Um, I also found this on the Star Wars wiki uh, about Wookiees. Um, while they appeared to have a low technology level to outsiders, the Wookiees were in fact quite comfortable with modern technology. In fact, their ability to fuse modern conveniences and natural resources was second to none. I mean, this has to be an intentional reference, right? Um, <laughs> well, uh, a, a funny friend of ours, uh, saw this quote and came up with the, uh, the portmanteau Wakanda. <laughs> mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, I think that has, um, it sounds, <laughs> it was a little, it, I think it was a little bit, uh, racially referencing. Um, there, there was also a bunch of really weird throwbacks, like explaining uh, Lando Calrissian style of dress as a personality quirk and having nothing to do with say his planet's culture or his, uh, his, his kind of nobleman status. There's sort of an apocryphal, uh, statement about his, his sexuality that he might've been, uh, gay or, you know, a bisexual or what have you. Um, yeah, uh, uh, a lot of the story was kind of generic. The, 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 the bad guy is a typical evil british man they have a um a a, a band of of rebels who are sort of implied to be kind of the colonel of the uh of the rebel alliance and they themselves are a highly highly multicultural uh i guess you could say underrepresented group and uh and, and and those those identities are very specifically chosen to to be that way so it's sort of basically bringing the entire original trilogies uh rebel alliance uh integrating that with a uh, uh I, I i guess you could say brownwashing it 
Um, so that's, <laughs> I mean, and, and, and this is overt stuff. I mean, this is what they're trying. Uh, th- this is the agenda that they're pushing. I don't, I don't really feel like I'm reading tea leaves when I say any of this. All right. So, um, uh, someone is uh, talking about uh, Lando in the chat. Um, I'm going to kind of, <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm taking defense, but I, I think that, uh, something that people have kind of, uh, said about this and about this Lando thing. I, from what I can tell, I haven't seen the whole movie, but from what I'm told, um, this whole pansexual thing kind of came from, um, not, nothing in the movie itself, but someone, um, asked one of the writers, um, hey, do you think Lando's gay? And it's like, um, I, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe, I guess, I guess. Sure. Yeah, because it's like, you know, you're kind of in a dilemma there, because, like, if you say no, it's, oh, this writer's career is ruined. And if you say yes, it's, um, you're, you're changing a yeah, character. It was, it was literally a blindside in, like, an interview yeah. where someone just asked him, like, you know, you think Lando could be pansexual? And he was just like, um, uh, uh maybe? I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I guess, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, I, that's not me going to the defense of this. Because honestly, let's be honest, that that's something they would try to pull in these movies. Um, let's not lie, but uh, it's not really something in the movie itself. Yeah, let's uh, let's do some closing thoughts. Okay, so there's one thing I need to mention about this because it drove me crazy. The cinematography in this movie was terrible. It um, it, it was very flat. Which again, this was shot as a comedy. Um, for the most part. So when you shoot a comedy, it's usually pretty flat shots, and that's that's okay for comedy, like a, uh, um, for the most part. But in this, they tried to make an action movie in editing, <laughs> and that's not that's not smart. So what they did was they added a vignette filter over it, a very heavy one, and it looked terrible. It was murky and shitty, and they would add in random jokes, and it was just it it sucked. That's all you gotta say. The the thing to me that jumps out immediately about the New Wars trilogy and what separates it from the original is the the simple fact that the original trilogy, if you know anything about storytelling, movie making, what have you, you're familiar with the concept of the hero's journey. And the original trilogy follows the the hero's journey largely to a T. Uh, the this guy from humble origins becomes this hero, has some special ability which he develops. You know, confronts his father, meets you know a king, overthrows him or becomes him in some respect. You know, there's this obvious heroic mythic arc to the trilogy that echoes throughout human history. The new trilogy has attempted to completely eschew that in favor of some sort of modern political narrative, of some sort of plucky resistance against totalitarian regime, the constant revolution themes that were brought up, the the this idea that you can you can somehow substitute the the gritty unpleasantness of the modern world for the great myth or the heroic legend. And that can't be done. And it can't be done especially it can't be done in a satisfying way. Because it no longer has the most important element. It no longer resonates in any meaningful way with the human spirit. It no longer resonates with the intended audience or the 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 audience of our culture and of our people 
in the way that's necessary to make a story ingrain itself in the common mindset and in the common narrative. And that they have eschewed this, they have done to their peril. Like, the, the hero's journey is not the only story you can tell from the mythic standpoint. It's the most iconic, but it's not the only one. And they could have very easily chosen one of the other various forms of myth to shape this around and could have done that in a satisfying way. But they couldn't think that far. They couldn't reason that far ahead. They simply felt that if they glommed all the nostalgia they could onto these movies and then put some sort of modernist political narrative onto it, that we would somehow just go along, that, that people would just mindlessly buy the movie, get their popcorn, drink the sugar water, and be content. But that's not the nature of storytelling. It has never been the nature of storytelling. And the fact that these are, movies are fall, seem to be falling apart, I think, gives obvious you know gives the obvious example it lays it out bare that this does not work and that people will not exist happily and they will not enjoy that which does not seek them does not seek to draw their minds to a higher and greater purpose it, it hasn't worked before and it won't work this time well, I think overall this movie, what we're seeing is their own narrative starting to run into themselves and they can't totally find the talent that they need to sell it anymore. You know, there's a social analogy called boiling a frog. It references the idea that a frog will allow itself to be boiled to death if the water temperature turns up gradually. However, if the temperature rises sharply, the frog will spring to action and save itself. And before we were ever born, they've been turning up the temp temperature, creating an unstable and unsustainable world where people like us no longer exist, or if we must exist, then we must suffer quietly in misery. However, now, through pop culture and other avenues, some have ceased attempting to boil the frog and have gone straight to skewering it perhaps believing that their job's already done. Or perhaps people like Kathleen Kennedy, who are not themselves rootless cosmopolitan elites and merely shaped by them, do not have the instincts for effective social subversion. Whatever the case, the frog has woken up. We are the men in the right. We have a valid case to make for our existence and way of life. We will never be silenced. We will stick together, and we're going to win.